0: Well, I was a big... Uh, I, think, I think Paul and I both watched a lot of television growing up, and uh, I know that uh, I was really into, like, Six Million Dollar Man on TV. I wasn't a big comic book guy, but I liked the Batman series on TV. I enjoyed that very much. That was right when I was... I was into... Uh, I, and also, like, filmmakers. I was really into filmmakers. They were my heroes, like people like Steven Spielberg and um, Martin Scorsese. I always kind of idolized people like that and wanted to be like them.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the show where we go back and talk about movies that bomb theatrically, or maybe the critics just didn't like when it uh, got released. Brad, we're, we're back into comic book territory this week.
2: We are. And I didn't know this was a comic book film until about <laughs> mm, the very end of this movie when it says characters based on such and such. And I was like, oh, really? It's actually a real thing. Yeah.
1: Oh, awesome. Well, this is going to be an epic conversation. And so we had to bring on some epic guests. So do you want to do the introductions?
2: Yeah, the first guest we have is returning guest, Josh, from the VHS Files. How are you doing, buddy? Hang on, Brad. I I
3: have to say, if you're going to introduce us, we're going to have to introduce us as a pair. I mean,
0: we do a podcast together, Brad. Life mates.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) Forgive me. For new eyes only, Mm. Uh, Coast, Josh (laughs) and Nate are joining us today. Yay!
3: Yeah, thanks we're for having me back, guys. Uh, yeah, if, you, if you're into James Bond, you should check out Nathan and I's
0: uh, podcast we do. It's a fun time.
3: It's, yes. Uh, it's 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 me uh, watching the James Bond movies for the first time. Yes, mm-hmm. you, you heard that right, the first time. And uh, Nathan pretty much schooling me on them as we talk about them. So. <laughs>
1: hey, I, I got to say, you guys kind of schooled me on your episode <clears throat> where um, you were sort of doing a look back on the Connery uh, mm-hmm. era. But you talked about The Rock as a loosely based James Bond property and, and yeah. kind of went through that mythos, which I had never heard of that before until you guys brought it up. And I got to say that that's probably my favorite episode you guys did. It's, it's, it's so one of mine. But I, yeah. I, everything you guys had talked about, I just it makes sense to me um, mm-hmm. in, in certain contexts.
0: It and is we, truly wild, like the links people will go to to justify fan theories. I mean, it's one of those that like a clearly the literally the producer and the writer have said this is not a secret James Bond movie, but you could still make the argument that it is. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I mean, we can't take full credit, of course, because we were yeah. YouTube videos and whatnot mm-hmm. in that discussion. But that's kind of the catalyst that got us into wanting to do it for our show was, yeah, this is a really cool sort of fan theory that somebody put together and. Could have some weight to it if you really mm-hmm. kind of put the uh, put the pins in the map and drew did your you know uh, a psycho who is Pepe Silva
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Right>.
3: <laughs> and uh, so we thought it would be fun to talk about it when we finished up the Connery era mm-hmm. and that was a fun episode. It's actually getting uh, it's it's over four thousand uh, uh, views on YouTube right now. So wow, yeah,
2: uh,
0: that's that's like the best performing one so far, right? Of the yeah, of the yeah. the Bond episodes. Yeah,
3: we're we're getting a great reception to that. Apparently, a yeah. lot of people like Bond and like listening to people talk about bond so we're uh we're having a blast and we're about to move into the uh roger moore era oh, i'm so yeah. excited for that and this year me so, uh,
0: freaking too it is like uh smooth sailing for a little bit <laughs> <laughs> even the bad ones I'm, i love
2: <laughs> well i love I, uh, the connery era but there's just mm-hmm. something about roger moore that just yeah gets yeah. me all tingly well, uh,
0: just what? a just a t- tease for the next episode but like Josh was like, from the second this guy walked on screen, I was like, "What a smooth motherfucker!"
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> he is. Uh, I love Roger Moore. I mean, Roger Moore was yeah. my introduction to James Bond, um, same, same. more so just- than. We discussed that in our
3: "Live and Let Die" episode, which should be coming out shortly after this episode comes out. So, if you want to hear our conversation about the, the first Roger Moore movie, "Live and Let Die," it should be up. Uh, hopefully, not too not too long after this goes up. Well, a truly
0: I, wild motion picture.
1: I, I have a question for you guys. So, I I know you know Brad and I obviously mm-hmm. on the show have spent a lot of time, uh, even an entire month, dedicated to movies based on comic book properties and. Right. Brad and I are, are not just fans of the films, but we're both collectors. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of talking films, Brad and I will, will trade pictures of our collection of graded, non-graded, and um, mm-hmm. I, I still buy comics today, so I, I have my weekly pool, et cetera. But for you two, I don't really have a good sense of where you land in terms of just comic books in general. If okay. It's, if it's well,
2: well, just uh, or doesn't Nate write for a comic book website? I was website. about to say, Nathan, 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 <laughs> if you would do me the honor of
3: introducing, he actually does a a, a podcast about yes. comic books. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm
1: yeah. I'm trying to do a, a a nice introduction to that to yeah. give you guys I, a chance to talk about I that. But go it. ahead. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah,
0: I, I've loved comic books since I was a, a kid. I mean, um, I talked about this on VHS files a while back, but. Batman eighty nine, like the one two punch of that, and Batman the animated series, sort of instilled in a love of comic books in me, uh, to to the point where like I want, I was the kid who watched those shows and movies and was like, I want more of this. Where can I get it? Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, my dad was a huge nerd who like got back into comics in a big way during like the the British invasion. So he was like really into Swamp Thing and Sandman and Black Orchid and all that stuff, and so uh obviously i wasn't old enough to read any of those but i w- was old enough to tag along with him to the comic shop <laughs> um and i yeah i've been collecting since probably since i was like five or six like when when i started to get a you know a dollar here and there from my grandmother i'd go pick up stuff from the quarter bin just depending on what looked cool um and and it's kind of uh it's never gone away i'm still uh Now I I co-host the AIPT Comics podcast where we uh, review our favorite books of the week, talk about comic book news, interview creators... And nine times out of ten during these interviews, I'm just trying so hard not to fanboy out the whole time. Nathan, uh, Nathan
3: usually sends me texts. He's like, dude, we've got so-and-so on the show this week. I'm uh-huh. freaking the fuck out, man. I
0: like my. You're like Chris
2: Farley. Hey, remember that time?
0: It, it is so difficult not to do that. And the, the closest I've ever come to doing that was when we um, – <laughs> when we interviewed uh Claudio Sanchez a few like a month or so ago uh the the lead singer of Coheed and Cambria also a comic book writer in his own right and uh and the whole time I just kind of wanted to be like so like uh, Silent Earth 3 turns 10 this year Are you guys gonna do reunion tour like what's the set <laughs> list like like it was really difficult um and uh, we just had, uh, uh, it, it comes out later this month, but we interviewed Rom V, who's been writing Swamp Thing and mm-hmm. Justice League Dark and The Many Deaths of Layla Starr. He's a, he's a genius. And it was like, in, it's intimidating sometimes. But most of the time, those what you find out is those creators, they got into comics because they love comics. So, like, it's pretty chill to talk to them. We, um, uh, if, if people want a, like a fun place to start with that show... Um, our two hundredth episode, we had uh, Dan Slott, Cody Zigler, and Zeb Wells on to just talk Spider-Man for like an hour and a half, oh, nice. and it was a blast. Um, and you really just you get the sense that all those guys just live and breathe comic books, and that's that's
1: that's so infectious. So, I think. so two questions then: Yeah, what was the series that? Um, really got you to collecting. So I, I mean, yeah, uh-huh. I Batman. I like I like the whole <laughs> um you know because I think a lot of people get introduced to that, right? They go to the dollar bin or quarter bin. Yeah. They pick the stuff that they think looks cool to them, but there's always like some I recognize character.
0: Transformers. <laughs> yeah, you
1: you, you kind of yeah. just go through and you buy I don't know four or five different titles just to kind of get a feel sure. for it. But then you latch on to something. So was it Batman yeah. or was there another one that just got you into? Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go down the rabbit hole of this of this yeah. character or this world.
0: I think the first time I really set out to collect a series was there was a very short lived imprint. Uh, Called Defiant Comics in the early 90s. It was uh, run by Jim Shooter Mm -hmm. right after he'd left Marvel. And he had a series called The Good Guys that was about a a group of like preteens who became superheroes. And I think it got canceled after issue like eight or nine. And it was one of my first great heartbreaks because I discovered the series after it had been canceled and probably spent a solid year hunting through back issue bins for the next issue only to you know years later find out it just never concluded but yeah i think that was the first time where i was just like okay well these are my guys and i want to collect this whole and it turns out it was very easy to collect the whole run of uh, defiant comics because they only lasted for like a year and a half yeah um but yeah it was it was that and probably um the tie-in, the Batman Adventures series, the Ty Templeton, uh, Alan Burnett Ooh. series. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. What What is your favorite ongoing series right now that you collect? Ooh. Um,
0: right now, I, I'm I'm really enjoying what Rom V is doing with Carnage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new Dead Boy Detective series, basically all the Sandman stuff that they're doing is is really interesting. I wish they were pushing that line more. And, um, I'm really enjoying Chip Zdarsky's run on Batman right now because it is. Fully bonkers. Uh, and the fact that the same guy is writing both Batman and daredevil is just such a tremendous power move. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, Also uh human target, Tom King and Greg Smallwood. It's a, it's a mini series that's running right now. That's sort of like a,
4: Oh, that one I'm not uh, familiar uh, with.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's like a dark gritty take on the old Keith Giffen, uh, justice league international characters. And it's really fantastic.
1: Nice. All right. All right, Josh, same kind of um, question to you. So, What is your love of comic books and does it kind of extend to the comic book itself or to the medium that, uh, you know, television movies have kind of brought it over to?
3: Well, just like Nathan, I was a big fan of Batman 89 Mm -hmm. uh, when the movie, when it came out. And at that point in time, I wasn't into comics or anything. Um, But you'd see your random comic books on the shelves here and there. I'd pick up something if it looked cool. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't until like middle school when uh, Lobo's back. The four issue run of Lobos back came out, and that 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 was what really got a like. I I, I was like, wow, they make comics for adults. Like <laughs> this is this is a comic book that I can buy, and it looks like a comic book, but I'm probably not supposed to be reading it. And just the cover art on Lobos issues, and just the fact that he was just this crazy, like lewd, crude superhero quote-unquote or anti-hero mm-hmm. that's what wrote me into that sort of thing and that's that's what i did as a kid i got out of it a little bit later i didn't you know i haven't been collecting my whole life um wasn't until jason and i from vhs files uh We started just hitting comic book shops, uh, Mm -hmm. the the comic book shop that we used to frequent in Panama City. Nathan knows just all about it, New Force Comics. I miss Um, them so much. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, we had a great great friend of ours, Roman, worked there, and Mm -hmm. he was always willing to just talk
0: comics with us and – I mean, honestly, you talk about a salesman. This guy could could upsell me at a comic shop. I'd yeah. go in, I'd bring up my books, and he'd be like, oh, you like uh, Jim and the Holograms. Here's the new Josie and the Pussycat series. Or here's yeah. like, you know, Mark, did you know Mark Wade's writing Archie now? Isn't that fucked up? Like, check this out. <laughs> and Roman's the kind of guy that has very strong opinions about comic uh. books, and he, he has
3: no sure. problem telling you what his opinions of comics are, mm-hmm. um, but that's kind of where my love came, and that's that's kind of where I met Nathan, that in the music scene in Panama that's City. That's right, yeah. And uh, we would just frequent the same comic book store, we'd see each other in there, we would chit-chat about comics,
0: movies, whatever, and... Uh, Walking that's... Dead got you back into comics in a big way, right? Walking Dead got me collecting. I jumped on the bandwagon <laughs> when Walking Dead got
3: back in. Sure. And, uh, or when it, when the show came out and of course there was no way I was going back and getting all those back issues. But, um, I did, I did dive in headfirst there for a while and I have quite a few like graded comics and whatnot here. Mm -hmm. Are are you collecting anything now? Um, I just got my pull started back up. Um, so I'm, I'm not, the only thing I'm current on right now is saga and I hate fairyland from Scotty young. Um, I, you know, I'm a huge Scotty young fan. My Mm -hmm. wife is too. And, um so anything he does I kind of want to read and, and see what's going on there but his, his art style one his writing is is really good as well but um you know Saga is really where it's at for me like that's the only comic book that I have read from first issue to current and I am up to date on the entire story Nice that was really the biggest drawback to getting into comics for me was how many like you know storylines where do you start start? yeah Yeah. like that was the biggest thing with getting back into comics for me and that's why something like the independent labels like image Mm -hmm. and you know saga and things that i could actually start from the beginning and read in in sequence instead of having to worry about which you know which arc we were on Mm -hmm. and all that stuff that's really where i got into it and that's where i'm at now i i do collect spider-man i mean i i've been collecting spider-man for a long time um but that's really the main things that i'm I'm, I'm doing right now, uh, but I'm always looking for Spider-Man
1: issues to fill in the back, you know, my back catalog and whatnot. Yeah. Brad, I I know you're spending all this money getting all your spawns graded.
2: Yeah. I went back and my, my mom gave me all my old spawn stuff. And so I've been going through and and getting, looking at condition and seeing if it's worth getting graded. And I went, I did one through 10 just because I like, I wanted to have my original set, uh, graded and just have it. Um, yeah. I recently just got my other one back, the Signature Series one by Todd McFarlane. So yeah, but I'm also right now into this comic called Black, which oh, kind of depicts yeah. a world of like, what if only black people had superpowers? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. There's an awesome variant. Uh, black Number Four has a Donkey Kong variant cover with uh, Donald Trump. It's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> oh <laughs> wow, really awesome!
0: Uh, I've heard uh, really yeah. good things about that series. I haven't checked it out yet. I should. I would check it out.
2: I, I yeah. think it's it's really um, again. Written for adults and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. So yeah, Spawn.
0: Spawn was another big one for me because the, yeah. they had the those that first line of figures all had the pack in comics. And that was just I was like, what? There's no I would tell my parents, like there's no better value. Like, come on. <laughs> I, I will say, though, that there
3: is one series that I actually do have the first until the last issue. Oh, wow. I'm very proud of uh, is Preacher. I, I got really. Oh, big yeah, into that's Preacher. Right. Yeah. And um, ended up getting a, a great deal on an issue number one. I also got a graded number one, and I have the entire series and the uh, the side stories they released. So awesome! That's that and Saga are the only two series that I can say I have every fucking issue. If you want to read
1: it, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm so. one issue from completing the Defenders, all of it, the entire run. Oh man, um, great! And yeah, uh, yeah I, I I mean I still. I, I still grab a lot of Marvel stuff, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, I, I'm really digging the Aliens and Predator stuff since Marvel's been putting that out. They're, they're fun Kev little Walker stories. Walker just crushes on those Predator books. Yeah. The the thing, though, that I've kind of noticed in, in talking um, with some of the artists that I know, the the industry's suffering a little bit um, from its print perspective. And I hear this quite a bit, that manga is, is really mm-hmm. a force to be reckoned with, especially... Mm-hmm when you go and look at like, you know, the top 20 sales in, in terms of like trade paperbacks, et cetera, a lot yeah. of it's manga. Um, which, which makes sense. I mean, I'm i I'm a big Junji Ito fan and I've been going back and, and mm-hmm. grabbing all the hard books that they've been doing. Um, but
0: what's well, like uh chainsaw man. I think is like Chainsaw, yeah, chainsaw man man is or like, something like that right now. Yeah. yeah
1: it's huge. I, I'm, I'm just curious. Do you guys think that, um, the film industry, uh, is helping comic books or is it just a, is it, is it an art or is it a medium now that at the end of the day, it's like it's it's just going to be a small niche market. And from here on, it, it really is going to be about the the television shows or the movies or the video games and everything else.
0: I, I have a I have a hot take on that. But Nathan, go ahead. Oh, I, I think okay. this kind of thing is cyclical. I, I think it really depends also on who's calling the shots. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you. We've seen so many of these huge movies come out and creators like Ed Brubaker saying like, you know, I made more money for making a cameo in Winter Soldier than I have from them using any of my characters. You right. know? Uh, and, a, you know, a, a, a having your name in the credits is nice, but also a paycheck is really good, too. <laughs> you know, like I,
2: <laughs> yeah, credits don't pay the bills. Exactly. Bill
0: Mantlow, you know, was ki- trying his family was trying to kickstart for his medical bills a few years ago. And I'm like, the guy who fucking created Rocket Raccoon can't get health care. Like, right. That sucks.
3: Well, I mean, um, you know, as far as Saga goes, like, Brian K. Vaughn has written yeah. some of the best freaking comics there are out there. Sure. And I, you know, Why the Last Man was a fantastic show. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that got canceled, nobody watched it. I was like, what? Like, there is great writing here. There's great mm-hmm. story. There's great character. And, like, I, I I thought the first three episodes of Why the Last Man blew Walking Dead out of the water. Yeah, I agree.
2: But, well, like, even, even, like outcast was a great i thought it was a great oh, TV outcast. show Outcast.
3: i i love that comic i hate that that show got the pan mm-hmm. uh I, I you know i was on board patrick fugit i mean I, I, almost famous is one of my favorite movies of all time yeah. you see patrick fugit in a, in a starring role and <laughs> yeah. something that i was into at that time like i was i was into that show man but it just wasn't one that caught on i mean yeah
0: But I I also think, like, right now we've got folks like James Gunn taking, you know, taking the lead at DC, and one of the things that he's kind of been talking up, and that I hope is, you know, a a thing that we'll see more often, is tying comics and and movies closer together. I mean, uh, say what you will about Black Adam, it was cool that posters for Black Adam in movie theaters said, go check out Justice Society, you know, or read (laughs) John Ridley's Black Adam out on, you know, out now. Uh, when Birds of Prey came out, there were multiple Birds of Prey uh, OGNs or like collections that came out.
1: I, I got to tell uh, you, it, it was a highlight to see Hawkman on the big screen because I have sure. I have the whole Hawkworld series, too, because that, yeah. that was one of my favorite DC characters. But I, I do like the studios are trying to push that. Um, yeah, I, I love the fact that you if you want it digitally. Um, you've got subscription services on a yearly mm-hmm. basis. You can go through the archives um, if if that's your preference. I'm just yeah. I'm I'm trying to figure out like why where's it going from here. I, I think it's a very speculative process at this point because depending on who you talk to, mm-hmm. a lot of people would well, say, well, manga is where it's at, um, and you know DC and Marvel uh, being the big two. Are really struggling on the print side, but they seem to be doing okay on on the movies and television. Depending on you know,
0: what... I think print. I think print will always be steady enough to justify its existence. And and the thing that helps is that DC's also experimented within the last few years, especially during COVID, like putting out books like Batman: The Adventures Continue that uh, are come out in or Injustice that come out in these like episodic digital you know versions, and then mm-hmm. they then they do the print later, and those those also sell. Um, you know, it, it does feel like once a year we get, you know, in the middle of the year, we get a, a big state of the industry kind of report that says, Hey, are comics going out? And it's just never the case. I, I think it's always, it's like any kind of niche market. It's always going to feel like it's on the bubble. But I, I just speaking personally, I I love that digital comics exist when, when Josh and I lived through a hurricane a few years ago and when that happened, I was very happy that I was able to continue reading my monthly books on my iPad. And then as soon as the comic shop was open again, I went to go pick those up.
4: Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's
0: honestly when I
3: stopped to pull in comics. Like that's yeah. when I stopped reading my regular series sure. is we had a you know a hurricane that we went through in Panama and you know, I, I didn't jump on the digital train. I just I, I had to cancel my pull and move on and now I'm now I'm back in the bandwagon of playing catch up, you know.
1: Well, let's go back to a time in film when the Marvel cinematic universe didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And, um, Catwoman from DC was just right around the corner. So (laughs) we're going to go all the way back to, yeah, 1999, which is a very interesting year. Brad, you, you always take us down memory lane when we talk about a film's release. So let's always, let's go all the way back in the time machine and talk about mystery men and, um, what the state of the union was like going to the film's, uh, when this thing, uh, came out late summer.
4: Yeah.
2: So released August 6th, 1999. So we get a late summer blockbuster release with a reported budget of $68 million. And I'm going to probably guess a lot of that was for the casting, but you can argue with me that later, um, total box office run is, uh, not great. We have, uh, domestically so here in the u.s we have 29.76 million and internationally we have 3.699 million for a grand total of 33.461 million dollars which is significantly less than the 68 million dollar reported budget so when you look this up this is your by very definition a bomb um and uh yeah, so opening weekend, Troy, this thing comes in this is, sixth
1: place. I was gonna say this has come up before. We've actually talked about this opening weekend because we've yes. we've talked about one of these films.
2: Yes, so uh, it's good enough for sixth place. It makes ten million dollars. It is behind some film called The Sixth Sense, <laughs> uh, The Blair Witch Project, Runaway Br- Runaway Bride, The Thomas Crown Affair, Deep Blue Sea, but also Troy. You, you were saying. And then it goes: Mystery Men, Expector Gadget, The Haunting, and then The Iron Giant, which we yeah, have what done. A summer, wow, yeah. I mean, f- f- don't forget, the Phantom Menace is still, you know, is around oh, sure. too. So ninety yeah. nine uh, is a huge film year. You have yeah. that, The Matrix, um, man, Big Daddy, <laughs> <laughs> actually <laughs> a good <laughs> oh, Sandler movie. Uh, <laughs> I just saw it coming up next. <laughs> um, critically, I was a little surprised by this. Rot Tomatoes has uh, mystery men at a 61%. That's with 104 reviews. Too low. And uh, 57% with the audience with over a hundred thousand reviews. Nate can only put in one review, so he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't move the needle.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, okay. Guys, movie guide has given us quite the gem for mystery men. Yes. Let's get in our get in our guesses, everyone. We have four to negative four. Where are we going?
1: Um, huh? Yeah, we'll defer to the guests first. Nate, you want to go? I'll
0: say negative two.
1: Negative okay.
3: two. I'm, on the, I'm on the same page as Nathan. Negative two.
1: I don't know. There's a lot of pagan worldviews in this film.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go he out on a He calls himself limb. the Sphinx. Yeah, I'll, I'll say negative three just to be different.
2: Okay, it is negative two. Okay. <clears throat> For our content, Troy, you nailed it. New age pagan worldview that yeah. advocates magical thinking. And seeking glory with cult overtones. Yes. Uh Occult overtones, including ESP powers and some moderately strong moral elements. Ten mostly mild obscenities, including one S word, plus flatulent jokes, bedpan joke, in reference to testicles. (laughs) Uh, Moderate action violence, such as hand-to-hand combat and hitting bad guys with objects like forks, shovels. (laughs) bowling balls gunfire explosion slapstick violence and man accidentally chars another man to death with laser-like weapon spoiler alert uh, <laughs> no that sounds hu- like a
1: good time man
2: <laughs> I, I love this well it's not a sentence because of course they never write rule sentences in this sure no human sex no human sex <laughs> but skunk performs oh yeah depicted yeah. <laughs> sex act on man's leg and two unnecessary mm-hmm. shots, unnecessary. That seems. But like it you're- was a sweet moment. There was a moon, full moon behind.
1: Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was very sweet.
0: Egregious uh, use of Michael Bay.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh upper my minute.
2: god, dude.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we bring the brewskis?
2: <laughs> yes. I did, he, did he kill a pigeon uh, in this movie too, or what? <laughs> 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 Sorry, that's uh very topical uh, uh-huh. upper male nudity. When man removes clothes, of course, man removes clothes uh, uh-huh. to become invisible alcohol use and drunkenness, smoking and revenge. Man releases psychopathic criminal so he can achieve more glory fighting the criminal, but is punished for his actions. Want be superheroes get jealous when other men take over his role as leader. And woman talks to her dead father whose skull has been placed in a clear Plastic bowling ball. That's where I I thought the
1: negative three was going to come through. Yeah. Is the fact that jealousy is counted as a knock again. (laughs) Oh,
2: come on. Yes, of course it is. Okay. So films you could have seen in August of 20 or sorry, 1999 again, banger year. So we have Dick, uh, the iron giant.
4: Uh, the thomas Just crown
2: <laughs> yeah thomas crown affair which made 124 million dollars in yeah. case you're wondering yeah. uh bowfinger broken ah. down palace detroit rock city hell yeah mickey blue eyes uh universal soldier Two: the return mm. <laughs> into deep the 13th warrior which we also have done right um and the astronaut's wife and that's about it. I'll tell Earth.
3: you what, Detroit Rock City is not it, it is worth watching. People, if you have not seen Detroit <laughs> Rock City, I'm not even a fan of Kiss, and I like that movie quite a bit.
1: Uh, the, the, all of those films, to some degree, have something to offer. Uh, to mm-hmm. be quite honest, um, there's some cult classics in there, but that that's a totally. strong month. That's a really strong month. Let's talk about the people who brought mystery men to life. Um, We'll, we'll start with people behind the camera and um, I'm sorry, Troy, but
2: one other thing that happened that month, Yep. very significant. Yes. The Limp Biscuit album, significant other comes out in June of 1999. We cannot, we cannot look over the fact that we did it all for the nookie Troy. uh,
1: And yet the soundtrack to this one might've beat it. I don't know. (laughs) Mm. Agree to disagree. Um, all right, he let's talk. A- let's talk about the director Kinko Sure. So, one film, Mystery Men. That's it. He's really known as a commercial director. He had done the Taco Bell commercials, Nike, got mm-hmm. milk, worked for Pepsi. Uh, he was a celebrated commercial director. Had turned down a lot of different offers. Landed on Mystery Men. We'll talk about this in production development.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it, it sounds like Mystery Men just kind of broke him. He he said enough of that, and then went back to commercial um, and. Shorts. So he's never done another film. I
0: I love how candid he is in in interviews. He's just like, it's I I don't like talking to actors for extended periods of time. I didn't, you know,
1: and he's got a lot of big personalities on this picture. He he does. Um, And I think that will actually uh, drive a lot of the conversation in terms Mm of the success or failure of this, depending on how you look at it. Right. Sure. Um, So let's move over to the screenplay by Neil Cuthbert. Um, now, it's based on the Flaming Carrot comic book series by Bob Burden. And um, Nate or Josh, help me out here. I think it was like issue 16 or something where the Mystery Men um, from Flaming Carrot came about. I'm, I'm just they, trying to go off memory.
4: Yeah, That's all I—
0: it's it's somewhere in the first yeah 20 issues and then they got their own book right. that i think was stylized differently i think it was mystery men as like one word right mm-hmm.
1: and then um but i don't i don't know how long mystery men lasted and and what's the best way so flaming carrot that i i never got into it it's a little interesting uh-huh. uh i was more a milk and cheese guy little little punk rock <laughs> sure um flaming carrot is really would would you call it absurdist but we're, we're talking about yeah. a comic book series that was really trying to make fun of the comic book series, right?
0: Flaming Carrot was almost like a, a more nihilistic version of The Tick in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Like it played with like comic book tropes and was just sort of like, uh, what's the weirdest visual I could come up with for a character? I mean, in a world where we're already publishing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, how do I get weirder? And so it was sort of like, it's almost specifically targeted at the indie boom of the eighties. Yeah. So you've got like Cerberus, you've got Ninja Turtles, you've got Flaming Carrot.
1: Yeah. And I, I like think there the was an issue it. with uh, tur- the turtles and Flaming Carrot at some I think point. There too. was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but our, but our person who's responsible for the screenplay, Neil, <laughs> what uh-huh. an interesting resume here. He's done another comic book film, the return of Swamp Thing from 1989, which I know how you guys feel. I, I, that, that moves a lot of fun.
0: Blue, I, just, I just just picked up the Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah,
3: this
1: Same one.
0: Here. But this
3: is a fun fact. If you want to berate me, uh, I've not seen either one of those Swamp, Swamp
1: Thing movies. Oh, you, I think you, I think you would like them. The the first yeah. they they have both of them are different in yes. tone. I think, um, but I think they both work for what they went for.
0: I mm-hmm. just I just picked up the return of Swamp Thing. I still need to get Swamp Thing. But surprisingly, I'm... the the sequel directed by the guy who made Chopping Mall is more entertaining than the one directed by
1: Wes Craven. <laughs> <laughs> it's more fun. The Wes Craven yeah. one has his moans, man. I, I, it's I do fun. Like it. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. Uh, after Swamp Thing, he does. <laughs> I, oh, God. Hocus Pocus, 1993. Um, oh, Troy's favorite movie. Yeah, not not a fan of that. Uh, Mystery Men in '99, and then another one that I'm sure we're going to talk about it someday, Brad. The Adventures of Pluto Nash in oh, 2002. Shit. So, so he's responsible for that. I, wow.
3: I want to admit
0: responsible. <laughs> if
3: we're talking about Eddie Murphy here. For a, I just want to admit something. Mm. I, I watched Life for the first time. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, about uh, not, the life, right? not the
2: sci-fi Life, right? The one. No,
3: I've <laughs> seen that, but I've just watched the Eddie Murphy Martin Lawrence uh, movie Life. It was actually pretty good, man. Like I've yeah. been avoiding all of the older Eddie Murphy stuff because I I, I
0: think most of it's probably going to be crap. But life was actually pretty damn good. I, <laughs> you'd be surprised how well some of it holds up. Yeah, really?
1: I, I hey, I watched The Golden Child on Blu-ray the other day, um, and it's still a lot of fun. It, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cheesy, but it it works, man. Um, this this is where it gets interesting. Cinematography. When we get to cinematography and editing, because. I, I do want to spend some time when we share thoughts about the film, what you thought in terms of the look it, of it, how it was oh, yeah, edited together. Lots of notes. That's yeah. where
3: most of my notes are. too.
1: Yeah. And, and this is interesting. So cinematography yeah. is done by Stephen H. Burham. Now mm-hmm. you, you'll see his name attached to things like the outsiders in 83, but mm-hmm. he's worked heavily with folks like De Palma um, and even Danny DeVito. So for De Palma, yeah. he did like body double the untouchables casualties of war raising Kane. For DeVito, War of the Roses, Hoffa, he's worked on some other um, comic properties. I, I guess you. It, it, it started out as a radio drama, I think. First, The Shadow, 1994, mm-hmm. um, and even after Mystery Men went back to work for De Palma on Mission to Mars, and then editor Conrad. Whoa, Buff- whoa, whoa! Oh, hey. Yep.
2: What? We ever we have a Russell Mulcahy reference in this? Okay. Yeah. He did the shadow, so.
1: Yeah, he did the shadow. <laughs>
2: Don't move past my movie, Troy. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: was Christopher Lambert in the shadow? He should have been. Oh, he should have been the shadow. <laughs> oh, he should have been it's the It's me, Siwon Khan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I like that one. <laughs> um, editor Conrad Buff IV, who I don't remember. Great name. We talked about him before, but he did edit Solar Babies from 1986, which I think is one of the <laughs> yes. early picks we talked about. Uh, again, these guys, they get hooked up with some of these famous directors. Uh-huh. Um, he he worked with uh, Cameron quite a bit, mm-hmm. starting with The Abyss in 89. And here you go. So our, our editor of this film was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Editing for Terminator 2 Judgment Day in 91. Mm-hmm. Turns around and wins it in 97 for Titanic.
2: Titanic. You have an Academy Award-winning editor on this film.
1: Yeah, and here's the stuff he was working on around the time of Mystery Men. So he had Arlington Road in 99, Mystery Men in 99, and then the next year, 13 days, and then following that with Training Day in 2001.
4: Uh, hell Ooh. yeah.
3: Have you guys seen Arlington Road?
1: Uh, I think I remember. That's the Tim Robbins one.
3: Tim Robbins, Jeff, Jeff Bridges.
1: Bridges. I, I, I think found I saw that, one. No. Yeah, when it was out on home media at the time, but I don't remember I wanna, about
3: it. I want to revisit that because I remember watching it when it was fairly new hmm. and kind of being blown away by it and i'm interested to watch it now i mean that's it's one i haven't watched in quite a long time good cast
0: angelo battle so that's
3: yeah it's
2: a it's kind of like a terrorist sort of film yeah yeah so it's worth a revisit i would think so yeah I i haven't seen it in 20 years
3: there's one specific thing i remember about it that i don't want to bring up because i feel like if you haven't watched it in a while it's probably
1: it's been at least 20 years since I've seen it. Yeah, I, so. I know I've seen it, but I remember zero about it. So, right. So, okay, moving on. Um, lastly, cause it, I think this will come up as well. Production design. Yeah. Um, Kirk M Petruccelli. Now this is interesting. He's worked on stuff, other comic book properties like blade in 98, um, Laura Croft, tomb Raider, 2001. So he did both of those films actually. Nice. Another comic book profit property, ghostwriter in 2007. And yet that same year, another comic book property, Fantastic Four, Rise of Silver Surfer. Uh, and yet another comic book property, The Incredible Hulk in 2008. And Brad, he he did a movie that we just recently talked about from last year, 2022's Moonfall. He's the production designer on that oh as well. Oh, God. A
0: movie oh that God. feels like it should be fun. Guys, I just, I, I watched it like a week ago or so. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, oh, my God, like it looked like it was going to be ironically like fun, you know, mm-hmm. like one of those just disaster movies. That's a blast. It's bad. It's
1: really
0: damn bad.
1: It's, yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, you can go back and hear <laughs> our thoughts on it. I I think I liked it way more than Brad did for its uh, bonkers. Um, and we gave a little science lesson during that episode, too. So you can learn stuff cool. from podcasts, believe it or not. <laughs>
3: It's, it's a movie that felt like it came out of a time capsule from 1996. Oh, like, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But not in a fun way. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, it's
2: not fun enough. That's
3: it, the problem. It, it was the other movie that was based on the moon being ran by aliens. Of that sure. year, You know what I mean? Like there was always two around that time that were the same plot, basically.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so there's some pedigree behind the scenes on this. Let's talk about in front of the camera, which also shines who wants to start with Ben Stiller is is there any like mega Ben Stiller fans here both as a actor or director i don't know what you guys uh, were you fall on him
0: you know i was super into ben stiller as a as a teenager and then i feel like i kind of fell off of him and then every couple of years i rediscover oh yeah i i really dig this guy's work like i i love zoolander still oh yeah uh, tropic thunder i think is a brilliant movie it's a and the ben stiller show is worth a rewatch
1: yeah, it is. What about you, Josh?
0: Dude, dodgeball. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Him okay, like this is one thing I was gonna bring up. Like, I just Ben Stiller's comedy is is for me. Like, I yeah. fucking love Ben Stiller's comedy. Um <laughs> I, I've seen a few things that he's directed. Um, and even some of his older stuff, like have you guys seen Permanent Midnight? Love, no. love,
1: mm. love Permanent Midnight. Ooh. It's so good.
3: It's been yes. a while, but it's, 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 like either based or loosely based on the guy who wrote Alf or created Alf or something like that. <laughs> uh, okay. And he's just a, it, it's a, Nathan, I think you would dig it if you haven't yeah. seen it. Um, But that's, that was one of the first times I ever really had any experience with Ben Stiller was back yeah. when that movie came out. And, uh, but no, like, like Nathan just said, Tropic Thunder, I think is a work of genius. And I mean, it makes me laugh hysterically, like. And Zoolander is yeah. the same thing. Like Zoolander is one of those movies I went and saw in the theater with a bunch <laughs> of friends. And they and like I didn't want to go see it because I was like, this is going to be stupid. They came out and you right. It. I came out loving
0: it.
4: Like it was just <laughs> one of those movies
0: that blew me away. I was like, this yeah. movie's hilarious. I, I had a weird thing where for a, and I think it's just something that happens when you go to college like you or, or like when you turn tw- like you get into your early 20s and you go into your like uh film snob phase where like there were a few years there where i was like i don't uh i don't like the you know the man child humor anymore like it doesn't it didn't like i would just would try to like rebel from it and then you know what uh, inevitably happens is you rewatch hot rod or or step brothers and you're like oh yeah this is these are the best <laughs> now that's that's what i'll say is like ben stiller usually mm-hmm. is a
3: hit for me now will farrell movies Uh Or uh, he's he's I'm
0: striking out on him more than he's hitting. But the thing about
3: Will Ferrell's hard for me to to get into.
0: Well, the thing about Ben Stiller to me was that I feel like very early on, he also established a, a good track record as a serious actor. I mean, you're talking about movies like Your Friends and Neighbors. Or, or a reality bites, he's great in that. Like, I, I just, I really like Ben Stiller a lot. And if, and if you look to at, do a little bit of both in this,
1: yeah, I think it's really interesting. So, the last film he directed going into this film was The Cable Guy in '96, right? So, wow, uh, yeah. And I'll sure. go to
2: Bad for The Cable Guy. I, I love, love The, the Cable, cable guy. guy. I love The Cable yeah. Guy, too. So, uh, big flop, though, right? It was, yes. Yeah.
1: And he starts to concentrate on his acting, and it's really diverse. So, you know, there's something about Mary in '98, huge mm-hmm. hit. Same year, your friends and neighbors. Same year, Permanent Midnight. So, I mean, he has got some range just between those three projects. I didn't yeah. realize
3: Permanent. I thought Permanent Midnight was before that.
1: Nope. Uh, Ninety nine was Mystery Men, Black and White, and The Suburbans. So, oh, wow. I, I and Brad, I, I didn't give you a chance. I don't know where you land. I'll just share my thoughts real quick. I think people uh, gravitate to the Hollywood um, product of Ben Stiller and they forget about Ben Stiller the actor and the director from the from the late 90s early 2000 yeah. would he was putting out some amazing stuff but yeah. i'm i'm a huge ben stiller fan uh i join the fan club whatever it is yeah he's ben, he's amazing
3: dude his tom his tom cruise uh, <laughs> impression unbelievable is flawless dude yeah. that entire interview when mission impossible 2 came out and they were playing off of each other i mean <laughs> say what you want to say about tom cruise dude but he is game to and tropic thunder his appearance mm-hmm. in that like but them two playing off of each other when mission impossible 2 came out uh for, i think it was for the MTV video music awards yes, like i think Super so or whatever uh Dude, some of the
1: funniest shit I have ever seen. It's amazing. What What about you, Brad? Were you Were you on him?
2: I like Stiller. I don't like him as much when he is front and center. I like him to the side. Like I like Ben Stiller in bits and pieces, Mm -hmm. say like in a dodgeball or like (laughs) when he's not the the overall main focus. Like even in this film, Mm -hmm. even though he's like the main antagonist, he's like he is not the or protagonist. He's not the the main like focus of the whole film I like him like that like I sure there's a part of me that's like when he is front and center in my face it's a bit much and like mm-hmm. sometimes he could be missed like like the duplex and like along came Polly like he's got a lot that you're just like what do you do like you're not that kind of guy I mean you're, yeah you're, um, you're
3: forgetting the great Starsky and
2: Hutch Oh yeah, even that. Like,
3: <laughs> I'm just kidding. I haven't even seen Starsky and. I Hitch, like but. Starsky and Hutch,
2: so. <laughs> you would. But no, I I, I like Stiller. I think he's mm-hmm. I think he's infinitely funny, and um. You have a point, though. I mean he
3: he's a lot better when he's part of an ensemble, like yes. Dodge Dodgeball, for instance. Like he's in that movie quite a bit, but like he's in it when he needs to be. He's mm-hmm. there to he's he's there to make a joke and leave, like. That's that's the most that that's where I like Ben Stiller, yeah.
0: Because I, a character kind of that with broad you. would be so difficult to base yeah. the whole movie around, right? Too. Right. Yeah. No, agree.
1: Um, let's move on to Hank Azaria as the Blue Raja, Jeffrey. Uh, of Jeffrey. course, obviously during this time period, he's doing The Simpsons, right? Yeah. And here's what's interesting: Godzilla was ninety eight. Mm-hmm. And about that time too, he was doing Mad About You episodes. Actually, he he did about sixteen to twenty episodes between ninety five and ninety nine. Wow! in um, the movie, the movie Mystery Men, when it came out, he also had something in the theaters, The Cradle Will Rock, in ninety nine as well. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Um, moving on, William H Macy as the Shoveler, <laughs> aka Eddie. Uh, this guy, we, we, we actually just talked about one of his first ever on screen roles
2: yes. uh, with our
0: uh, Last Dragon
1: Last episode. Last oh, oh, yeah, that's
3: right. Yeah. Yes. on
2: VHS. W- he, he was W H Macy at that point
0: yeah. in time. He's so good in this movie. You think? Uh, you think
2: Mystery Men got one of his girls through college, paying off everyone uh, to? <laughs> get <him> to college?
0: <laughs> oh, <my> Probably, <laughs> yeah. Um, he is so. The thing I love about William H Macy is he's always so sincere. Like, I remember having a conversation with my dad years ago where I, I said, I think my dad was like, I can't tell if he's a good actor. It seems like he's just saying his lines. And I was like, no, he's just he's saying his lines like he's having a conversation with you. Like, there's nothing there's nothing artificial about a William H. Macy performance.
2: There's an authenticity usually.
1: to everything that he does.
2: Dude. Yes, Dude, Fargo, perfor- Fargo, just, his performance in Fargo. Unbelievable. Is
3: unbelievable. No, his, I, dude, Fargo, his performance in uh, Boogie Nights, dude, is, yeah. uh, oh, yes. is
0: fucking amazing. He, he, he you, he's the only person who could deliver the line. Lucille, God gave me a gift. I shovel
4: well. I
1: shovel very well. So listen to what he's doing in 99. This is one year. OK. Episode of Frasier does a uh-huh. film. Happy Texas. Mystery Men. There's mm-hmm. a TV movie, A Slight Case of Murder, does an episode, uh, animated episode, I think it was on uh, Nickelodeon, The Wild Thornberries. Yeah. Um, does another TV movie, The Night of the Headless Horseman, and then has another theatrical Magnolia. <laughs> uh,
4: yeah.
0: This oh my God, you're right. This yeah. is the same
1: year's Magnolia. Yeah. yeah. That's PTA,
2: <laughs> PT yeah.
1: This guy, I I mean, oh. I we could we could spend an entire I don't know, evening just just keeping on the praise of William H. Macy. Yeah. I think I would say the thing, the same thing about Hank area too. Cause I, I uh-huh. think he's another bright spot to this film. Yes. And I don't think he gets uh, enough credit for even the stuff that he just attributed to something like the Simpsons, which as long as the Simpsons has been around, there's, there's been a Hank Azaria. area. Um, yeah. And he's one of the reasons why that show is so successful. He's so great on the, I mean, he,
2: it, he, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I even like, love William H. Macy but I don't I've never seen an episode of Shameless and that's probably like one of his best roles
3: dude he I I will say I've seen half of Shameless I Uh gave up on it after about I think season four that's about where I stopped too yeah okay (laughs) he his performance in that like so good though he, he he's so good but you truly think like how could a human being be any worse <laughs> and he continues to yeah. up the ante in that show Living to Garbage point, <laughs> to a point where you're like this man is is just a, he is piss in a fucking alleyway dude like he is terrible but yeah. William H Macy
1: pulls it off dude he's he's really really again authenticity sure. man how many actors yeah. out there just deliver it and you, you you just buy it hook line and sinker he's he's okay.
2: so good Moving on. We've got well, the most Spacey is also a wood turner, by the way, a wood oh, turner. Mm. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, fun fact. If you turn in that wood, uh, Janine Garofalo is the bowler Carol. Mm. Uh, now listen to her 1999. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you guys seen this film, the minus man from 1999. No, Fant- no, no, that go, way. go see that right now. Yeah? Just check it out. So good. It's a nice little thriller. She's amazing on it. Does thick as thieves, 200 cigarettes, Dogma, the bumblebee flies away mystery men. So those are all the films of this year and then ends up doing episodes of Sopranos, Felicity and mad about you. What,
0: what a great year. Like (laughs) I love Janine Garofalo. I like, I I had no idea she was like that busy at the time.
1: Uh, Again, she's good friends with Ben Stiller. So what I think is interesting is you've got um, some folks that they've had some successes. Obviously Ben Stiller Mm -hmm. with uh, there's something about Mary. Um, Janine Garofalo is really just working her butt off in the independent film industry at this time period and
2: also she's, showing up on television she's tight with else. all like
0: the UCB folks and she's mm-hmm. doing like stand up and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So
2: she is super funny. Like, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, this, was her funny. Hey,
0: this is her heyday, yeah. too, man, like
3: she
1: late was, 90s, early 2000s is yeah. like <clears throat> apex. Garofalo. But I'm telling you, if you go back and watch The Minus Men, you will yeah. fall in love with her even more. Just wow, okay. go read on my list. Yeah, it's it's a nice little thriller that she does.
3: When was uh, uh, when was Truth About Cats and
0: Dogs? That was the one that I saw the 2000, most. 2000, I think. Around that time. Was Maybe it? 2000,
1: 2001. Yeah, it could be. I mean, that that's it's around the of-
0: same time as Wet Hot American Summer, I think. Yes. I love Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, did. no, I'm sorry. It was before this. 96, Truth About Cats and Dogs. OK. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, Paul Rubens as the spleen. <laughs> <laughs>
3: now, this this was after his public
1: fiasco, correct? Well, yes. yeah, here's here's a little timeline. So we've got Pee-wee's Big Adventure, 1985 theatrically. We mm-hmm. have some legal issues around 1991. Okay. Yep. Now he comes back in some bit parts in 92, specifically Batman Returns and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. Buffy
3: the Vampire Slayer, dude. I Yeah. I remember I was like I remember watching that movie going that guy looks like Pee Wee Herman. I I did not
0: know it was Paul Rubens at that time. His death scene is fantastic. (laughs) It's
3: great.
1: It's absolutely great. Yeah. He's eight years from, from his legal uh, Mm -hmm. issues. We've got Kel Mitchell as the invisible boy. I think a lot of people around this time period would know him from Keenan and Kel, Mm -hmm. uh, the TV show and Good Burger, which I think was the movie that they did. Right.
3: (laughs) Honestly, when it came on screen, I was like, is that Cisco? Oh my God. (laughs) it
1: does. Um, another surprising name for this as the Sphinx is West Studi. Um, Brad, he's in one I of your him. favorite films from nineteen ninety, Dances with Wolves. Right, mm-hmm. love that film. Sure he is. Yeah, way better than Goodfellas. Um, <laughs> Last of the Mohicans in ninety two, and we've talked about West before when we talked yes, about Saget. Street Fighter in nineteen ninety four. Sagat. Sagat, yes. Great Kinnear, Captain Amazing, Lance Hunt. Uh, we've talked about Great Kinnear when we talked about Briggsby Bear. Um, yeah. Go back uh,
0: and watch that. Love, love, love Greg Kinnear and love him in this movie. I've got a lot of, a lot of thoughts about his performance. In this He's so scene. good.
1: We get Claire for as Monica. Um, mm-hmm. I think people know her from mall rats and meet Joe black. Mm-hmm. So that's ninety five, ninety eight.
3: 98. My note was, where did she go? Like she was, that was like her heyday in that time around, you know, right, right around this 99 and right. then disappeared. Like I haven't well, seen she didn't her didn't anything. She I haven't seen her in shit.
1: Peaked in two thousand three when she starred with oh, Jackie, Jackie Chan, Chan, Chan in the Medallion. The medallion.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> then she disappeared.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
2: then we got Tom Waits, uh, musician. No, she peaked at the Dungeons and Dragons film. Isn't she in uh, oh. or Dungeon Siege? Sorry, Dungeon uh, Siege. Oh, in the Name
1: of the King. In the right? Name of the King. Yeah, yeah that's right. Was that the Burt Reynolds one? He was in that yes. too, wasn't he? Burt Reynolds yeah. plays okay. a medieval king. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Tom Waits is Doc Heller, uh, musician. Tom Waits. Heller. It surprised me when you go back and look at his filmography. Bram Stoker's Dracula, in ninety two. Shortcuts in ninety three, which is He's shortcuts great is the Dracula, Dracula,
3: Ooh.
1: mystery uh, man. Dracula
2: is one of Bram Stoker's Dracula is one of the horniest movies ever made, <laughs> right?
3: And I, and I fucking love it.
1: <laughs> uh, now let's get to the villains. So yeah, we've we've got some pedigree on the villain villain side too. Jeffrey Rush, Cassano- I love this name, Casanova Frankenstein, <laughs> Oscar winner for best actor in a leading role for Shine in '97, nominated for an Oscar for supporting role Shakespeare in '1198, nominated after Mystery Men for a leading role in Quills in 2000. Oh, great in Quills, yeah, yeah. It, I mean. That- they scored big when they got Jeffrey Rush, in my opinion, especially to pay to, to just kind of ham it up for this over Frank. And design. he's
0: having a yeah, he's having a blast. Like there's not he's not phoning it in. This is not a paycheck performance from Jeffrey Rush. I don't think he does. Uh, those. He no. was
2: Nigel in Finding Nemo. Also, Troy, of
4: course, no, that's
2: true. Yep. Yeah. Um, Lena Olin
1: as Dr. <laughs> Annabelle Leak, clearly, clearly inspired by Harley Quinn. Yeah. Who debuted in Batman, the animated series in 92.
0: I can see that. Yeah.
1: Um, and I don't know. I, I it, if I go to Lena's resume, I, I always go back to Romeo's bleeding in 1993. Fantastic. Sure. movie. Yeah. Um, Eddie Izzard as Tony P, one of the mm-hmm. uh, leads of disco boy, apparently he's in some film, Brad, that we're going to review some point across the universe, 2007. Oh yeah. Is that, did you recommend that Brad?
3: I did not. I oh, did okay. not recommend it. Hold on. You had some reservations there, and I kind of want to talk about this. Uh, are we not fans of Across the Universe?
2: I- I've never seen it. so No, I uh, love the Beatles. I think that movie sucks. Yeah, don't so
0: know where I'm at. I think the music and the way it's shot is really great, but I okay, think the movie I, is kind of a disaster.
3: I think I have a unique outlook on things as far as that goes, because I didn't grow up a Beatles fan. Okay. I, that movie made me a Beatles fan. Oh, no. okay. It's like hey. someone
2: saying yesterday made them a Beatles fan. I have no idea what's going on right now.
0: Yesterday made them an Anna D'Armas fan. Uh, um, one thing I do want to say, because uh, I don't think it's mentioned on here, Eddie Izzard uh, uses feminine pronouns now.
2: Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, you're fine. Well, uh, she is a
3: national treasure.
1: Yes. I,
2: it's I so love her so funny in this movie.
3: Death. Yeah. Uh,
1: the other disco boy, Tony C. Yes. Praz Mikel I think he was billed as um Proc- I can't that first name I'm struggling with um real quick artie Lang big red leader of the red eye gang right uh-huh. mad TV I think we kind of gave this one away Michael Bay makes his oh, right. acting debut as leader of the frat boys wow that was a that was a shocker to see him on screen delivering a line too.
3: I was watching this movie and I went, wait a minute. Am I just like seeing this or like am I I, like I
0: couldn't believe what I was seeing. And sure as shit, I Googled
3: it. His
2: big fat head. You're like, yep, that's Michael Bay.
0: (laughs) There he is. And Ricky Rackman over his shoulder. (laughs) Yeah, that's
2: right. (laughs) Can I talk about my favorite one, Troy? Go ahead. We have members of the Dungeon family in this movie. We have Goody Mob. We have like CeeLo. CeeLo Green. It's amazing. The uh, snapping, a lot of yeah.
1: little cameos pop up in this yeah. uh, film, yeah. which is surprising. So, I want to talk just real quick production development. So, uh, if anybody likes this film, go and get the Kino 4K that was just released in January. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, if you're in the UK, I think uh, the there was a Blu-ray released a couple of years ago that has a lot of the same documentaries, et cetera, that was ported over to the Kino. The Kino is probably one of the best 4Ks in the last six months I've seen. Wow. Um, The 5.1 lossless DTS is fantastic on it too. I've Uh always felt like the soundtrack was always a little, or the sound design was always a little weak, but I think Kino got it right. But there are so many great documentaries um, and commentary and history. I mean, you can see all the deleted scenes, but it'll give you really a sense of what was going on behind the scenes with this film. Just if you Mm -hmm. check out all the special features. So
2: Troy, what could have been with this movie as well?
1: (laughs) Well, real quick, quick history lesson. 97, Mike Richardson, Mm -hmm. publisher, dark horse comics, uh, pitched the mystery men concept to producers, Larry Gordon and Lloyd Levin at universal. And then the film was announced in mid 1997. Now out of the gate that fall, Danny DeVito was in yeah, talks serious. for a $13 million deal to both star and direct. And Brad, where did negotiations fall? It just collapsed over one thing. Do you, do you know what this was?
2: Uh, Ben Stiller? No, the soundtrack. Oh, oh.
1: yeah. He walked yeah, over this the so soundtrack. Strange. So here's a quote.
2: You wanted more fart rock or what?
1: No, no. Um, DeVito says, oh, he was, wanted
2: more smash mouth. Okay. More got smash it. mouth. Yeah. <laughs>
1: he says it was a big deal for me. I really wanted it. So I walked away from the project that, I mean, that's what he says about it. So he was so adamant about having a say in the soundtrack. They wouldn't give it to him. He walks. Wow. Ben Stiller was then approached to rewrite the script and direct, but he turned it down. He said, I decided I didn't want to do it because it was just too much. It was a huge movie I'd be taking on. So then they turned to commercial director, Kinko Kosher, who was signed in April, 1998 to direct.
0: The natural third choice. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you got to understand, everybody was after this guy because yeah. he had won all of these awards for the Got Milk, the Taco
2: Bell Chihuahua campaigns. Um, and but that's like we were in that era where guys either came from directing music videos, or oh, commercials, yeah. and then it was just into the, directing big Hollywood films. Michael I mean, Bay, David Fincher. David Fincher. Fincher, I mean, yeah. David
1: Fincher yeah. All yeah. of them. Now, he says, uh, I thought the script was boring. However, the premise was great. Uh-huh. He continued, most of the movies made by commercial directors are heavy on visuals and thin on content. I don't want to be a part of that. I was very cognizant of showing that I know how to work with character. Mm-hmm. So eventually they bring on Garofalo. So she signs on and goes back to her buddy, Ben Stiller, and says, man, you got to appear in this film. Um, and Stiller, I think they originally were going to approach him for the Blue Raja character. He goes, I, I don't want to play another nerd. So they, they can't give him the Mr. That. Furious yeah. character. Now, here's this will give you a little... A taste of what was going on during the filming of it. Stiller says the script was fluid. The script was being reworked all the time by everybody because mm-hmm. everybody kind of wanted to personalize their part and try to make it as funny as possible. So yeah, that was welcome. That was the idea we had going in to just have everybody kind of get together and try to make it as funny as we could, especially in the context of a big action, special effects type movie. You know, a lot of the time what gets lost in the specific character stuff and the small moments that really have to work for the whole thing to work. So that's what we were concentrating on as much as possible. And it's good if everybody's on board with that. You know what I mean? And I think Hank, myself and Paul and Janine were probably most involved in that process for our characters. We're used to working that way. And uh, our director was like, yeah, let's do that. So um, he wasn't totally in love with the source material, the script to begin with. So there was a lot of improvisation going on throughout the entire filming process.
0: Which you can see, because there are scenes where like something will happen and the camera will just move to literally each member of the team while each of them gets a quip. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
1: (laughs) absolutely. Um, The original ending was unpopular with test audiences. So Mm. Usher shot a new one with what he called a big cheer finish. And here's the other thing Uh, universal delayed the film's release by one week because they heard some buzz about a little film called the Blair witch project and didn't want to go up against that. Right. The other thing I just want to mention just to keep in context. So we're talking 1999 and this is probably where our conversation will pick up when we come back from our our quick little commercial break. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the state of comic book movies in 1999. Okay. Yes. All right. So Marvel, we've got blade in 1998 and then X-Men comes out in 2000. So that's mm-hmm. where Marvel was with their properties. You've got Batman and Robin on the DC side that came out in 97, along with Steel. And then the next thing on the docket was 2004's Catwoman. Right. Um, and actually, the only comic book movies to come out in 1999 were from Dark Horse Properties, Virus, which was the Jamie Lee <laughs> Curtis film, yeah, and Mystery Men. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and that's in comparison, and help me out here, guys. In 2022 alone, we had the <laughs> it Batman. It was
2: 47. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> this is just films. We had the Batman, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor 11 Thunder, Morbius, uh, DC League of Super Pets, Black Adam, and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That doesn't yeah. include any of the properties that was showing up on television under Warner Brother content for DC. Right. Um, Or even the stuff uh, on Disney plus for she Hulk and, you know, werewolf by night and all that stuff. Right. So comic book content in 99 was starkly different than what it was just in the last year. Right. Uh,
0: And I, and I think that's one of the reasons why this movie doesn't connect with audiences. Right. Like it is a, at the time, like the, the, A lot of people didn't even realize Blade came from a comic book when it came out. Right. Uh, So, like, their biggest frame of reference is Batman and Robin and, you know, the Schumacher era. And uh, say what you will about those movies, but, like, I mean, that's a lot of the vocabulary they're playing with with this film, both in terms of style and and design and uh, character archetypes. But also, I don't think the audience... I don't think audiences understood the tropes that are being parodied. I think if you have a mystery men movie in 2012 audiences know what these movies are now. And, and at this point, like it was, it just looked like, Oh, it's like Batman, but stupid.
3: (laughs) Well, Well, I mean, my, I had not seen mystery men in quite some time, mm -hmm. Uh, probably since the first time I'd ever watched it. And, you know, yeah, I, this movie was ahead of its time. If you want to ask me, I mean, one hundred percent. Yes, it's it, it, it's playing into a narrative and uh-huh. tongue in cheek about superheroes uh-huh. that we, you know, at that time had not been shoved down our throats enough to be able to parody it, parody it the way right. they're doing in this. This movie, like. I was getting a lot of the boys vibes off of uh-huh. this movie. This, we'll, this, yeah, we'll
1: talk about that for sure. Like,
3: like this is like if Joel Schumacher directed <laughs> the boys. Like,
1: well, let's it, let's stop there. If Joel uh-huh. Schumacher directed the boys, um, we're going to take a quick break and talk about what that would be like. So <laughs> hold those thoughts. We're gonna we're gonna come back and we're gonna we're gonna Not talk about neon. Mr. neon. Not enough neon. That's right. Okay, stay tuned.
5: sir, uh, may I help you? Oh, uh, I'd like two of those, please. Hot dogs? Yes, sir. And three of those, and one of those, and five bars of these, and a cup of the nice hot liquid. Uh, coffee? Uh, coming right up. Oh, and two bags of those peculiar white coffee material. Uh, you mean our crunchy popcorn. Uh, uh, shall I wrap that for you, sir? Oh, that's all right. My saucer just outside. <laughs> they come from miles to enjoy our intermission. Here are the seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror. A monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. Frankenstein conquers the world. Spreading panic as millions flee his vengeance, Frankenstein towering over cities, defying the force of armies, the might of navies, and the fury of jets. Frankenstein, a name never equaled in the annals of terror. Frankenstein conquers the world. Stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein incarnate. With the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before, see Frankenstein Conquers the World, astounding on the giant screen, in color scope from American International Pictures.
1: get into this. Um, we left off with uh, The Boys, Joel Schumacher. I, I guess that's where you guys have talked about this already. Mystery Man could be ahead of its time, so um, I, I think I, it's... Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was actually going to ask Brad um, uh-huh. because I don't know where you sit with this film. Does the film work better in 2022 because we now have the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC Universe? Was it ahead of its time? Or are we at a place or a point where we have material like the boys or Deadpool and they've done a better job at it. So it, it, it's sort of null and void. I I wanted your take on it, Brad.
2: Well, I I think we all have, have adapted to a language of the comic book film and we all know how to speak of it. We all know the origin stories and how a team comes together and how we all sort of, have this inner strife between us. And then we all come back together at the very end to do our final mission. And then we name our team at the very end, hip hip hooray. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, not doing anything super original here, but again, we're, we're saying this is done in 1999. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it hit difference in 99. I didn't see this until originally, like probably like 10 years ago, I had just always thought this movie was supposed to be really bad. So I, kept putting it off and putting it off. Um, so you came to this thing so, about
1: 10 years after
2: its release. Yeah. And so I had oh, already wow. seen, you know, the Marvel stuff had already kicked off. So mm-hmm. I knew for a fact that like Iron Man, i had saw this like after Iron Man um, and, you know, like stuff like the boys and Deadpool now exists. So like the bite on this one might be a little bit, you know, taken down a bit. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work as sort of like a, like a satire of, of the comic book film in a way. I, I don't really know what, if it's going for that or if it's just going to be like a fun team-up film. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it works on both levels. Like, sure, it could be poking fun, but also it's just like a, uh, you know, like a fun team-up movie uh, yeah. with a bunch of random superheroes. Um, Yeah, I, I mean, it, it mostly works for me. But well, I don't know if you want me to get into my thoughts right this second. But. Well,
1: I'm I'm just curious because when we talk about, uh, I, I don't say we get into a lot of deep analysis on well, you know, why did this thing bomb, et cetera. I, I think you guys started, especially uh, you, Josh and Nate, started hinting at this in 1999. What this movie was doing, mm-hmm. um, I don't think there was enough material out there right. for people to grab onto it. And so it felt like, um, I, 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 it sounds cliche, but it did feel like it was a little bit ahead of its time. Meaning
4: yep.
2: this it was, film, too, it was kind of too early to parody in a yeah, way it's
1: it, there's nothing out there for this to really stick the landing in right. terms of its commentary, but that's my thesis on it. Like it, it, the visuals weren't bringing, um, I, I guess, butts to the seats in the theaters the cast and everything else I think were fantastic, but they are Mm -hmm. not marquee cast names. Um, and outside of that, without the fever of the comic book industry, really everywhere you look when it comes to film and TV, Mm -hmm. this felt a little bit dead on arrival. Although I will be the first to say, I I saw this and I saw this a couple of times in the theater. I was, I was there opening weekend. Ah. Um, and I've been in love with it in day one. But I don't know if you. I would ask the same question to you guys. I mean, do you do you find that to be a valid argument that without that source material, it just didn't stand a chance?
0: I, I think it was just a, a matter of how it was, uh, also how it was marketed. If I remember correctly, the the trailers a lot more focused on kind of the action beats, aside from like a couple of you know jokes with the Invisible Boy, and then I think, uh, and also there was a Danny Elf, there was Danny Elfman music over it, so I think there was a a, a feeling with audiences of well, I've been fooled by this already, right? Like, I'm not going to go see another one of these superhero movies until I know that they're good. And and yeah, I, I don't know that everybody here was necessarily like a big name star. It's also, it's both ahead of its time and perfectly of its time because it's also very much tied into the underground comedy scene and that kind of aesthetic. I mean, there's a lot of like kids in the hall kind of vibes to some of this movie. Yeah. Um. And I I just think it was altogether too weird for audiences to really get a grasp of what this is. Okay. Um. You know, because I I think, you know, we there there have been superhero parodies since. I mean, look at James Gunn Super, which also was a massive flop when yeah. it came out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess that's not you know not necessarily that people have to have that frame. What year was Blank
2: Man? Wasn't Blank Man around this time? Blank Man
0: was like ni- uh, 95, 96. But Blank Man, crazy enough, the, there were ads for Blank Man in DC comic books at the time. Like I remember flipping through Superman and seeing ads for Blank Man and being like, well, I'm not interested in that.
1: <laughs> yeah, Blank Man was 94. And then 90, the okay, okay. other one was Meteor Man, I think, was a, sure. uh, which was 93. So you had a few films, uh, few films in that early 90s period that were chasing after it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if Blade... Uh, sort of undercut this thing because if if you think about the look of it and it feels sure. like a direct reference to the Schumacher Batman's, mm-hmm. but then you have something like Blade, which is a huge hit, and X Men's around the corner, and so mm-hmm. you've got a, you've got maybe the 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 comic book film going a little bit more grittier. Well, mm-hmm. I think
3: you know. It, You know, with the boys, like the boys went into publication about 2006, I
2: think. Mm
3: -hmm. Uh And, you know, then Garth Ennis, you know, if you've read any of Garth Ennis's stuff, you know, he is very, you know, satirical and gunning for, you know, the popular stuff to be
0: just completely like abolished. I mean, Hitman was running when this movie came
3: out,
4: Garth Ennis's
0: Hitman, which is very much like, let me take the piss out of the entire DC universe. Right.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And I think, you know. I think the boys TV series came along at the perfect time because Mm -hmm. we're starting to experience that superhero fatigue in the movies and whatnot. And we're like, okay, let's, let's satirize, let's satirize. uh, I can't say the satirize, (laughs) Let's uh, you know, comic books now. Mm -hmm. And it's working for people because they're so sick of seeing superhero movies at this time. You only Mm -hmm. had blade and a couple of others that were in that sort of genre. So Mm -hmm. mystery men just comes across as, oh, they're just trying to make fun. One of comic book movies when in a sense hmm. like yes they're doing that in this but there's a lot of underlying like trauma and what and sure. in, in the storytelling in this and whatnot. like there's a little bit more going on under the surface than just the surface level superhero stuff in this
0: I mean what I can say is as as a kid when this came out uh, this became one of my most prized VHS tapes. Like, this was a... I didn't... I wasn't really even thinking about what it's making fun of, what it's trying to do. All I knew was that there was a new superhero movie. I thought it was very funny, and I watched it over and over again. I mean, big, big rotation in the Simmons household. This movie, uh, Steven Summers, The Mummy... And uh, the the and the Mark of Zorro, like the year before
1: that, those were like big ones for us. <laughs> that's a good line. I, I'll say that's a good lineup because that to yeah. me just is Saturday Night Fun Man.
3: Yeah, and that's and that's why something like Tropic Thunder works so well for me is because as a kid, I was in to Stallone and and Schwarzenegger and all <laughs> sure. the stuff they're parodying and. Tropic Thunder. And that's why it works for me at the mm-hmm. point in time when mystery men came out, I was probably on the bandwagon of, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Don't make fun of blade. That movie's awesome. Like you know, <laughs> I was not the film nerd. I am now back in 99. I can tell you that.
1: Well, I, I want to go back to you, Brad. I, I had actually thought you had seen this much earlier on, but coming 10 years after its release, uh, and picking it up in 2012, when you do have more Marvel stuff out there, more DC stuff, mm-hmm. and, and it's starting to get into that maturation. Um, what did you like this at the first time you saw it? Do you still like it? I mean, what, what were your thoughts revisiting it?
2: Um, so I like, I like this movie a bit. I just like when I rewatched it this time, I was kind of a little bit bored in, and I don't know if now, like, and I probably shouldn't do this, but looking back on that CGI stuff, um, in 2023, it looks really bad, especially on that 4K. You're, you're. Look, we're we're the same year as The Matrix, right? And so that's the bar that we are in 99. <laughs> I don't this think is,
3: the budget was quite the same. You know,
2: <laughs> the Matrix budget wasn't crazy, man. I bet uh, that's it was.
1: True. I mean. It,
2: this was, this the, was a
1: larger. Well, right. yeah, it was right. the Matrix time. actually
2: had a smaller budget than this film. Yeah, really, sixty-three million dollars for the Matrix.
1: I
0: believe that. Okay,
2: yeah. So I, I'm just talking apples to apples. So the CGI is is not great. Um, right? But again, I think I I think this movie could be about people watching paint dry, and if you have this cast and they're yeah. just talking and, and doing all that. I am totally fine with it. The story I think is pretty mm, paper thin, really like, yes, we want to get out this bad guy because we want to have some more action. And basically that's, you know, what happens? And then he has some sort of death ray and then we have to stop the death ray. And, you know, we have heard it before. See, um, I
0: kind of like that. You're doing like the, the bullet points of a superhero movie so that you can instead focus on character. Yeah. And, uh, and then
2: that's what I think works about. This is sure. all the characters yeah. and, and their inner struggle with uh-huh. death and mommy issues and all sorts of stuff like that. Like the black guy thinks he's invisible. I mean, that right. says quite a bit, you know, yeah. and, <laughs> and I think at, this film's best it it's those character moments at the worst, it's kind of the lazy action that's really not great it's us sewing our costumes together it's (laughs) um you know who's getting the pinking shears yeah and and (laughs) and like i i'm totally fine with it um i was surprised at how bored i was the other night kind of watching this and and kind of hoping they would get back to just talking and taking the piss out of each other like the the action and like i should not watch a superhero film and think that the action is the worst part and we just need to sit around and talk more i I, will
0: say this i think i think it is a poorly directed movie in some spots i i I, and, and that's not to take away from like kinka ushers commercial work but like there were moments in this movie especially during the action sequences where i thought well, this is shot and edited like a commercial. It's a mm-hmm. lot of it's a lot of shortcuts, a lot of extreme close ups, a lot of like the number I, of times yeah. I, I shouldn't have to see a shot like a camera pointed directly at Blue Roger's mom's chin as many times as I do in this movie. But The, I the
3: dialogue in this movie is shot very uh, claustrophobically, like, yeah. Uh, I've never really seen a movie shoot dialogue
0: the way this movie does. This is the first time I've ever watched this with like a quote unquote critical eye. And that was I, something that kept jumping out at me. I, it think, like it's the I think it's shot shots.
1: like a late 90s film, like the head on um, f- sure. face filling. I mean, it, to me, that that was a lot of movies coming out in the 90s. I think.
2: I don't know. It felt more like an episode of friends to me. Than That's this, true. Than anything. Yeah. But yeah, it, I mean, but it is,
1: I mean, yeah. I, I think, I think that yeah. was a nineties aesthetic when it came to comedic films, first and foremost, I mean, right. this, this is a comedy more than anything. And if you mm-hmm. actually take a step back and look at all, everything that went on behind the screens with this, because as, as much as Ben Stiller says, Hey, we got, you know, the green light to improvise director wasn't in love with the script, et cetera there were still a lot of competing egos going on in front of the camera. Um, you know, like Greg Kinnear and Ben Stiller, I don't think got along. Um, so at the end of the day, I think you've got Conrad Buff, the fourth who ends up saving this film and looking at the dailies and everything else and saying it's shot like a late nineties film. You've got some good stuff that Burham does put together. I don't mm-hmm. think Kinka knew what to do on this big budget and things just got out of hand. And so you're really left in the editing room to put it all together. Cause if you go back and look at the deleted scenes and everything else, there's so much stuff left on the cutting room floor. So it's kind of amazing that this thing got
0: out. The ending makes more sense. (laughs) Yeah. That, that extended ending makes more sense when you, when you watch the deleted scenes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, So I guess, I guess my last thing before I pass along to someone else is like in, in Jeffrey rush, like when Jeffrey Rush is in a movie, I want to see him, hamming it up and i think he is a little bit but i kind of wish he was doing it way more like the cocaine finger at the very end was nice but i like i want more of that um he really didn't seem like that bad of a guy to me really i'm like yeah he wants to do the death rape that's fine just oh do my God. it
1: hey brad i'm sorry i forgot your theme song while you're giving your review here
2: well <laughs> i mean i don't know man. that's some I, communist stuff you're saying i right was there. just i i don't know i i it was a little bit of a more of a struggle than I thought it was going to be to get through mystery, man, to be perfectly honest with you. Really? Okay. Yeah.
3: It's surprising. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go from there if you would like, because I, you know, I know Nathan has a, a, a deep love for this movie. I'm not sure about Troy, uh, but like I'm, <clears throat> I don't want you to feel left out, Brad, because I I kind of felt that way watching it too. It, it's not a movie I watched a lot when I was
0: younger. Sorry, <laughs> you <could> go ahead. <laughs> so you know, I, so I, you I'm got not... you got to play that remix of uh, a Fifth of Beethoven. Yeah.
3: <laughs> And I mean, and you know, Nathan and I, you know, when we talk about Bond, you know, I'm coming into every episode wondering if I'm going to like what I'm coming into this episode, you know, like the movie that we're coming into this episode to talk about. And you know, I'm so, so nervous far, before every record for that show. <laughs> and so far with the Bond movies, we've been pretty much a, a hit. Um, with this, like, I'm with Brad. Like, I I don't dislike this movie, um, but I I mm. did find myself kind of it being a chore to get through for me. Um, I think a lot of what's going on and I'm coming into it from, you know, 2022 era of we've got the boys, we've got all this tongue in cheek, satirical comic book stuff. Now I'm seeing where they were trying, where, where they were trying to do that back Mm -hmm. in 1999 in this movie. And I'm attached to that, but yeah, like I'm more or less getting into the undertones of the characters and the trauma and like with, with the invisible boy and how he's, you know, nobody can see him all that. Like I'm reading into all of those aspects of this movie now. So I don't have the original like superhero aspect of it, of watching it when I was younger mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um I do think there's some great jokes and some great comedy here. And I like, I love it. I fucking love Eddie Izzard. I think she's hilarious mm-hmm. in this. Uh, I think Jeffrey Rush is hamming it up and I like it. I, I like when he's doing his thing. Um, Honestly, being a big Ben Stiller fan, I think he's probably the weakest in
1: this movie. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, I got. I... No, no, no. Wait. I, he's, no, I mean, nope. I, no, no,
0: <laughs> no. One of the funniest moments in this movie is when he like it, his his mixed up metaphors are so good. Oh, God. They I are. don't need a compass to tell me which way the wind shines. Oh, that is my uh, that is my new one of favorite the best lines. lines of yeah. the movie. Yeah. And, and the scene where one of the funniest moments in the movie for me is when he says people who live in glass houses shouldn't because this is what happens. And then he (laughs) breaks his fucking elbow on the windshield. How can you not? I I think he's fantastic in this movie.
1: He's amazing.
3: He's not, he's not. He's not hitting for me in this one. I maybe it's because a lot of the movie we're just seeing him Lightning. with an ice pack over his face, like just
0: being Mr., you know, sourpuss the entire movie, which I know that's part of his character, but, but I, it's it, it's so performative and I think that's the brilliance of the character is that 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 bit where he like he like puts the quarter in the slot and he goes it's a good cause there. Hey, sorry I was so scary the other night. <laughs> it's so funny and it made no impression on Monica whatsoever. Right. It's, and, and I'm kind of Monica in that
3: scene. Like I'm just, I'm not, I'm not picking sure. up
1: what Stiller's putting down in this for some reason. Uh, I do think some of Ben Stiller, his humor in this one is going to hit uh, very similar to how kids in the hall humor can hit. So uh-huh. th- there are some episodes of kids in the hall. I will watch with the family. I will be laughing hysterically. And uh, my wife and, and kids will be looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And I, it's some of that absurdist comedy that you really, you, you gotta, you gotta take a you, step
2: so back. So you wanted more dick in this movie then, right? Uh-huh. No, no, not more dick. Um,
0: <laughs> that that revival season of Kids in the Hall, the sketches with the the radio DJ after yes. the apocalypse crying and just sitting in silence is the hardest I laughed at the whole season. And my girlfriend thinks I'm fucking crazy. <laughs>
1: I, I agree with you. but So I'm glad you bring that up. That is a uh-huh. great example of comedy that it, it for you, it'll hit or it won't yeah. depending yeah, on, on your funny bone. And um, what's fun, what I love about Ben Stiller, every, uh-huh. every single freaking time, I will walk away from this film every, as many times as I've seen it. And my, my wife hates this film. She hates it. She loves Hocus Pocus. She hates this film. Um, and she refuses to watch it with me anymore. But I will quote something like for days. And mm-hmm. and for the last couple of days, I'm just like, yeah, I don't need a compass to tell me um, which way the wind shines. Any Anytime she tells me like, hey, you need to go do this. Like I messed something up. Then I'll just turn around and say that in my Ben Stiller voice. She's like, I, I really hate it when you watch that. And stupid honestly, movie.
3: Like, those those jokes, <laughs> those jokes are basically the same jokes he tells, like the same style of jokes he tells in Dodgeball. Yeah. It's just in Dodgeball, uh, it, it works for me. And it works this, there for it's me, not. too. Like, yeah. it's, I, well, t- why, I told my Goodman girlfriend is,
2: is so much better. That That's so much better as like a villainous character anyway. Right, right. When I
0: wake up, you better hope you're asleep. It's (laughs) such a great threat.
1: There's so many of that. And I mean, just his uh, going back and forth with the Sphinx and just him getting aggravated. I love this Mr. Furious. I mean, the Incredible Hulk was always uh, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite comic book characters um, because I grew up on the Incredible Hulk TV show. Right. So Mm -hmm. the Lou Ferrigno stuff. And I, I what I love that Ben Stiller does is I think he takes the layman's version of the Hulk and Mm -hmm. tries to be that without um, the depth and everything else. That's, you know, David Banner, Bruce Banner, you know, whichever uh, version they're using. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I think he's playing that character perfectly and trying to put on the scary perception. And he just, he bumbles it every freaking time, every time. And it, and it's perfect. I think it's pitch perfect for that character.
0: And you, you I, Josh, you, you touched on on Greg Kinnear, or you touched on the boys, yeah. Like, and one of the things you texted me while you were watching it, because because of your frame of reference, you were saying there's so much Homelander DNA. Oh, oh in Greg Captain Kinnear, Amazing, Greg Kinnear could
3: play Homelander on the boys. Like he, it, it's it's almost the Homelander character in this movie. And
0: to me, he's the best Booster Gold that we never got. Like it's.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: His exchange with Captain uh, Captain, his exchange with uh, Casanova when he breaks in about, well, I knew this and I knew you knew that. (laughs) I mean, he's getting himself. He only knows
0: that you know that I knew. Yeah,
1: I I love that exchange. (laughs) Kinnear is fantastic on it. Um, I yeah, I'm I'm really curious. Uh, you you guys have talked about some of the the subtle the subtleties with the trauma and everything Mm -hmm. else. Mm-hmm. I I know it's there. I just don't think it's um, it's front and center. And I don't think right. it's uh, it's, it may be intentional, but man, it takes a back seat, like a, like a trunk seat um to yeah. everything else in there. Like I, if people come to this film and are reading into that and saying, well, there's this subtext and message here, I think yeah. I th- my take on that would be okay. You're you're missing what's going on in this other part of the scene, if you're paying attention to that.
0: To to me, the strongest version of that though, is I mean, we, we literally get a coming out scene, right? Mm -hmm. Blue Raja coming out to his mom as a superhero. And it is played with as silly as it is utter sincerity. And I just, I love that scene so much. It always makes me like big smile on my face.
1: Yeah, the, uh, those character beats hit, but I yeah. don't. I don't know if there's because I've seen some people talk about some of the comments, the social commentary in this, and, and sure. where it tries to go after that. I don't know if it's there. I mean, it it can be there, but I don't think no, it's a focus. No, but I don't or, think
0: it's subtext so much as it's text. I mean, we literally right, have right. we have we have the shoveler give a speech about how this victory goes out to the little guys, yeah. and I, I think that that's. It's not so much commentary as it is just like what well, he's a very blue
2: collar hero too, right? A very sure. blue collar job.
0: Well, I mean, honestly, the boys is is hitting you over the head with that stuff a
3: whole lot more than this movie is. But I think that's it's supposed to. Seasons, yeah. Like to me, yeah.
1: comparing this to the boys, it's the boys is out there saying some things within a few of its episodes and yeah, some very right. powerful things. This one is very much um, dad joke. The movie and yeah. uh does it, the commentary
0: is incidental <laughs> yeah it really is
1: and it's like okay yeah. even in its commentary i think it's almost making fun of of making commentary in these films
3: but what's funny is like that's what i walked away from this movie more or less getting out of it than the comedy like i don't know why like wow i think the older i get the more movies i watch and the more movies my taste in movies change sure like i'm looking for those kind of things in movies now and this is This is kind of a conversation, like, you know, I know Troy is a big champion behind Top Gun 2. And, like...
2: Uh, Please, it's Top Gun Maverick.
3: uh, Yeah, Top Gun Maverick. Sorry, I don't want to offend anybody. Top
0: Gun, the new batch. Yeah.
3: (laughs) But, but I mean, like, I I think I've gotten to the point now with movies is I'm always looking for some kind of subtext now. Because people do it a lot. And I almost, like... I can't just enjoy a blockbuster now. Like, I think that might be why I have a lot of issues with Mad Max Fury road. Like it's just, it's a great action movie. I can't get into this but again with you.
4: But, but like,
3: <laughs> I don't, I don't get a whole lot more than just a great action movie out of that. And that's maybe I'm looking for something that's not there, you know, like, that's where I find myself with a lot of movies nowadays. Is I'm looking for things that aren't I there. Don't, I don't.
1: I I will I will say this with the utmost because I I run into this conversation quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think you're missing out on an entire world of enjoyment when it comes to film when you try to take one rule and lay that on top of everything. Right. And, and another example sense, would yeah yeah another example would be people who would come to like the horror genre and go, I need all my horror movies to be like, I cannot stand a horror movie unless it is psychological. It's scary. It's all this other stuff. Like I don't like comedy and horror film. I'm like, mm-hmm. man, you're missing out on a whole sub genre of that. Well, mm-hmm. true.
3: I mean, like I, I understand what you're saying. Like J- Jason from VHS files is a lot like that as well. Like he, he like any kind of psychological horror movie. He's just like, if you, If you tell him it's the scariest movie you've ever seen, and but like he can't get behind that kind of shit. Or if it's something psychological that you really gotta read into, like he just wants his surface level horror movies. Yeah. But he's missing out on something that's great. Like he's such a big like hereditary is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen. Mm. There's so much going on in hereditary that is fucking great Uh if you just get past like your own hangups on it. And maybe that's what everybody says when I say I'm not that big into Mad Max Fury Road. You mm. know, like I, I, I think what it is is I had what alcoholics would refer to as a moment of clarity. Mm, let's <laughs> hear this, <laughs> and, and and realized that maybe I'm not. Tell me you about my, your miracle. I'm not letting myself enjoy some of these movies because I'm looking for things that aren't there. You know,
0: what if the spleen had been in Mad Max Fury Road? Would you feel differently <laughs> about it? No, I do want to talk about Paul Rubens in
3: this because I feel like Hank Azaria is doing his best Paul Rubens impression. Oh fascinating. Okay. And the fact that Paul Rubens is in this movie is just one of those that's like wow, this is kind of well, weird. You, you know, isn't he I,
2: doing like a zombie? Was it wasn't Zombie the name of
3: the Zombie <laughs> the
2: Genie? Yeah. Oh, we know that cuz of the tool song, so there just you go. Just the
3: just the introduction of of uh what's the the blue what is it? The blue Rajah. Uh, the blue Rajah. Raja. <laughs> like for whatever reason, I'm feeling like I should be, I should see Paul Rubens
0: playing this part that's or he's so he's giving me his best Paul Rubens and then Paul Rubens shows up. Blue Raja is an icon to me. Like legitimately, I I saw I, I was I was at a convention a few years ago, saw a vendor dressed as Blue Raja. And had to take a picture with them. I was like, I don't you don't understand. Like, I've never seen a mystery man cosplay before. This is the best th- best day of my life. And I I just I had I adore that character, that performance. I realized while re-watching this, Josh, that when I do my generic like effete British character on our Bond episodes, I'm just doing an impression of Hank Azaria in this movie. <laughs>
1: Uh, Paul yeah, Reuben, Paul Ruman steals every scene. I, so the only joke that my wife will laugh at um, during this film, because she's a math teacher, is when oh, they go. Is
4: it,
3: is it the triangle joke?
1: Yeah. When yes. they be able to like, triangulate our position, he's like, a are or equilateral. <laughs>
3: and to this That's, day,
1: I will have tears in my eyes. And
3: I, I, th- I think you and your wife and I need to sit down and talk about this movie because that is the scene. That is the joke that uh. made
0: me laugh hysterically. I love when he tells his origin story. He's like, in my <coughs>
1: adolescent awkwardness. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and she
1: who forever smelled it, er, smelled it. it. <laughs> it's so good. Um, no, I don't. Hey, look, the the humor in this is right up my, like, <sighs> I am laughing.
2: I think that's my biggest problem with Every, this movie. Really? Because I, I am constantly laughing. There, I love, like this kind of stuff but when i watched it i was just not I, into maybe i was just I in just, a bad mood i think I, it's I, such I, a
0: good mix of lowbrow and highbrow like there's yeah. there's like the really like fun metaphorical jokes there's the stupid fart humor there's references to uh outtakes from star trek the the sabotage joke uh, is a <laughs> reference to, to william shatner uh, I, I don't know. It, it all, it almost all of it plays for me. I, and will, I don't know why I
1: will die laughing for, from just watching their expressions when they're having this whole Lance hunt wears glasses, captain amazing doesn't. And he's like, he, he wouldn't be able to train. see, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to see that's the stupidest thing ever. And just watching Ben Stiller getting just so angry at this argument. I love it.
3: I'll concede that is, that is pretty damn
1: funny. There's so much about this, but it hits. What I love about this film is (laughs) I walk away every time and go, uh, Oh, I, I really gravitated to, to your point, Nate, maybe it was the awkward humor that really hit me more. Everything else Mm -hmm. is funny, but it seems like the absurdist humor, I will always gravitate to and just have tears in my eyes. And I love the fact that my son and I have the same sense of humor. So when he came down and saw, I was watching this and you know, there's already an hour he stops. He's like, I'm, I'm watching the whole thing with you. Yeah. Um, but he is laughing at the same spots I am, but the jokes are all over the place. It is dad joke territory for the most part, but yeah. I, I think it's done really well in the context yes. of what's going on too. And everybody sells it. That's the thing for me. Everybody's, Acting, oh. expressions, all of it, they sell it.
0: And there's other things like as I've gone on in life, I've found new jokes and new things that I'm curious about. I can't find any information on this, but like the uh Louise Lasser, who plays Jeffrey's mom in this, is also the mom in Frankenhooker. Uh oh. <laughs> and there's multiple scenes. The main character in Frankenhooker is named Jeffrey, and there are multiple scenes in that movie where she leans around the door and goes, Jeffrey. And I I I have to believe that that's a reference somehow. Like someone <laughs> someone in casting was like Frankenhooker fans are going to love
1: this in Mystery Men. They have to. I mean, it has to be right. Well, this this does have a Frankenhooker feel to it. <laughs> sure,
2: yeah. Especially when you
1: get to to Casanova's mansion to a certain degree and the psychofraculator.
2: Yeah. Okay. I am okay. Maybe I'm coming around on this now. It, it does, <laughs> you,
1: look. Here's the thing with Mystery Men. I I I think somebody could could come to the table, and I, I get where you're coming from, Josh. And, and yeah. anybody who's coming to it who goes, look, I I just don't have as much fun with this. And I get that. And so, and you could make the argument that you go, you know what? It's not as bonkers as Frankenhooker. hooker. If it, if it went that far, I would like it. Um, other people might say, um, it just doesn't do a good job on, on parodying mm-hmm. the superhero genre, et cetera. I could totally see somebody making the case from a mystery men critique that it almost gets to these places, but never truly commits. I totally see what I was
3: going to say is like, I I feel like this compared to what I'm a big fan of that a lot of these people do. This feels neutered in a sense to me. Like it it doesn't seem as it doesn't seem as funny. As some of the other things I've seen from some of these people, you know, um, and and maybe that comes from not watching it a lot. I mean, I've been a big proprietor lately of like I need to give things, a, give movies a couple of watches to really receive what it's trying to give me. Sometimes, mm-hmm. and you know, I I only had the opportunity to watch this once before
0: we talked about it, but um, you. But know, that that's one of my favorite things when we have you on Silver Linings playlist is you'll you will literally say something like the first time I watched this I was kind of lukewarm on it fifth watch. Yeah. yeah, I kind of, I started to groove to it and I was, I was like, I, I don't have the patience for it. And I, I do respect that. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, and, and you, you I, could I, make that. I mean, I, again, yeah. it's, it's got Hen and Lauder aspects to it in some regard. Yeah. I, I like what you're talking about, Nate, in terms of a callback or reference to it. It may not commit to that style. It, it doesn't commit to the to, to Joel Schumacher style, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. truly commit to Janine or Ben's um, comedy all the Mm -hmm. way that you've seen in other films. But I think what it really does is it takes pieces of all of this and brings it all together in such a way that it works. Um, And I am chuckling. I'm I'm really chuckling for, you know, the whole runtime laughing really hard in some spots, but continue to chuckle um, and continue to be amazed on how it looks. I mean, I don't know if you guys want to get into this. I really am a big fan. I know most of the sets are just, um, you know, carryovers from Batman and Robin um, because they actually use those sets. But I still think from a production standpoint, (laughs) um, it, it looks fantastic. I think the set designs are great. Even though the, produ-
3: the production design, I, I, I do really enjoy like and again, like obviously I'm getting Joel Schumacher vibes because you just said they're using those sets. Yeah, it was
1: now. in the, the 1997 Batman and Robin set. You'll actually see you'll be like, that looks like Batman and Robin. Well, it, yeah. that was where they filmed Batman the and statues
3: Robin. of Atlas, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. I
1: think also where I'm a little
3: lukewarm on the comedy or whatever in this, I'm also I'm I'm very like. Like knee-jerky about the cinematography in this, there the dialogue that goes on between people and it's just the close-ups of their face. Uh-huh. I find that to be super jarring, and I think it's a it's a bad stylistic choice. Now I know there was a lot of weird shit going on in the '90s with camera work and whatnot, but I think this one really overdoes it in that sense. Like there's there's parts of this where I'm just kind of uncomfortable watching the conversation that's happening because I don't want to see what's in the actor's teeth. Like it's just really weird for me. Sure.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some of that, especially during that opening sequence with the red eyes. It's a lot of like quick cuts and and extreme close-ups. But I I some of these actors I find so compelling that I'm kind of enjoying watching the gears turn in their eyes. Like I think uh, I think f- for for the fact that he's playing a character uh, uh, called Casanova Frankenstein. There's a lot of stuff that's going on just in the extreme close-ups of Jeffrey Rush's face, especially during that. That, uh, that parole hearing at the beginning so sometimes it it works for me and I do think uh like Troy was saying earlier it's very much a 90s aesthetic as well you know
3: what I think it is I, it just dawned on me like some of the cinematography work in this is very reminiscent of like 12 monkeys. You, yeah. know, you know what I mean? Like, Interesting. Okay. okay. They're, yeah. They're, 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 the, the, shots, the shots are shot from a, a, a da- like they're looking up at you uh-huh. instead of right at you. Uh, I got a lot of weird vibes from that, from I mean, maybe that's just a Terry
1: Gilliam thing. I yeah. haven't seen a ton of Terry Gilliam's work, but, um, it, it's yeah. there. I just, I find it. If you go back and even look at dogma or, or stuff that mm-hmm. I mean, any, just pick a film in the late nineties. I think there was a style or aesthetic to the film. And, and I equate it to this. What, you know, if you think about it now, um, and, and I'm trying to remember, you guys can keep me honest here. If you talk <laughs> about the home media movement in 1999, yeah. where we were making a transition from VHS to DVD, we don't have 4Ks yet, right? We don't have anamorphic, right. you know, Blu-rays coming out, et cetera. Um, I think filmmakers in that time period are making a film knowing that they're also making something for the small screen. The small and, screen, yep. And yep. 4K. Right. So I, I find, especially in these late nineties films, you will see movies. When you look at the movies, you go, this feels like an episode of friends. This feels like a TV show. I think sure. they're, they know, Hey, this is going to be a big hit on VHS. It's going to be a big hit on early copies of DVD. So the framing and everything of how they shoot it is super important for the after theatrical market. Um, I I think that's one of the benefits we have today with 4K and Blu-ray and et cetera. You can let a filmmaker go, well, I want to do this wide scope, et cetera. Take it home on your screen, on your 85-inch screen or whatever. You're not getting the exact theatrical experience, right? But you're getting something very close. Mm -hmm. And so you have, from a visual perspective, a lot of people – making movies look like film and even TV shows making TV shows look like film, right? Yeah. TV shows are, are, are the boys we've been talking about that. There are aspects of the boys that look very cinematic. And I find Mm -hmm. more of the TV shows today look cinematic back 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 in the late nineties, I find a lot of nineties films look very TV show in quality. Well, the comic
3: the, the comic book movies of today are kind of a uh, sort of the, the catalyst for that. I mean, if you're going to go from having this cinematic comic book movie in the theaters that you want people to have their butts in the seats for, and then you want to make a TV show that coincides around that you're going to have to play ball in the same ballpark and, or people are not mm-hmm. going to be on board,
1: you know? No. And I, I think it's easier today that both mediums can kind of share their, their visual artistry and, even the look and production design, but back in the late nineties movies, because of the boom of DVD, right. and, And everything that was coming out in the home media market, when you were shooting your film, it makes total sense that great. Uh, Brad mentioned it earlier, grab your person from music videos, from commercials, everything else. They can make a really interesting film, but if need be, they can make a film that also looks good on the mm-hmm. after film market, specifically for TVs, because not everybody was running around with a widescreen TV. So I think Funny. this thing looks intentional because it it was made for a theatrical run, but it was mm-hmm. probably more so made for what's going to happen after it's done in the theaters.
0: Well, I feel like- be, we were talking about Zoolander earlier, which, you know, is a, another flop, but it also you watch that movie, it's shot, edited like one of the original Zoolander sketches. Like it mm-hmm. it very much, it's kind of hard to tell where those end in <laughs> the movie begins.
3: And, and I'm again, like me and Brad are just kind of, hovering around the same space here because you're starting to make a case for me. Like when I start to think <laughs> about it, you know, David Fincher, my guy, like I fucking love David Fincher sure. comes from music videos. Obviously he's not very happy with what happened with alien three, but if you look at alien three, it's got the same sort of jarring cinematography mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's, it's hard to watch in certain aspects of that, you know? And yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe
0: the nineties doesn't the greatest of times for me. Like I'm so excited. Watch for us your to mouth. Get to th- <laughs> I'm excited for us to get to the Brosnan era in like four years on our show. Like <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like those are the ones that I'm
3: I'm dreading at this point. But uh because I, I don't know, like I, I go back to stuff that I that was around in the 90s, that was big in the 90s, like even I've you know, I was a big into the grunge scene when it was a big thing in the nineties, and now yeah. I'm kind of like grunge <clears throat> is dead, man. I'm over it. Like <clears throat> uh I'm sorry, I, I didn't want to I don't want to bring up PJ, because I don't want to offend Brad here, but, um, I just, I don't know. Like I've kind of, there's almost like a ex-girlfriend sort of vibe with the nineties for me. It's like, (laughs) that was, that was then I'm past it. I'm done with it. Let's move on to something else. He just
1: called you an ex-girlfriend, Brad.
2: I know I've been called worse, but
1: I love you, Brad.
4: I
2: know
1: I, and I'm not saying that there wasn't anything of quality to come out of the late eighties, early nineties in terms of, um, cinematography or anything of that nature. I'm just saying, You got a you know universal right MCA Universal. Uh They're they're spending money on this thing. Um, Brad talked about the Matrix. I think the Matrix cinematically, visually, everything today holds up. It's fantastic because you have real auteurs behind the screen. Yeah, here you have a commercial director um, who brought over his trade and skills to this film, and I think Universal would have been happy with that because um, you know Matt Damon talked about this recently too. When he was talking about Hollywood, right? And he was saying, Yeah, yeah. we would take more chances back in the nineties because of the DVD market.
2: Yeah, because you're making twenty to thirty million dollars in DVD sales. Yeah. Right.
1: So I, I have to imagine Mystery Men now. I mean, probably Nate from you and I alone. I mean I bought, I, I own every of them, every in mint condition, mystery men, action figure. I've got them all. I
0: didn't, I did not know there were action figures until you mentioned it on the show last week. And I, I started, I just started scouring eBay. Like (laughs) I need to make that happen.
1: I've got them. They're on display. Uh, Uh, the, the comic book series that I think dark horse released is as far as the movie adaption, Uh everything mystery men. I loved it, but I have to imagine that if Kino went out and said, we're doing a 4k release of this, And I I do find more and more people really like this film versus when it came out. And I guarantee it's because of that. They didn't catch it in the theater. They were too busy seeing the sixth sense because that was the water cooler movie. Right. Totally. But now if you were to discover this thing, you know, uh, early two thousands or when Brad discovered it, et cetera, DVD or something of that nature, it probably played great on your television. Um, And Oh, Uh,
0: yeah. On my TV VCR combo in 1999, I watched this over and over again. Absolutely.
1: So uh, I I think this is one of those films that it hit cult status because of how it came together, how it looks. Um, Yeah. And the fact that, you know, Marvel, DC and everybody else finally caught up to this. In my opinion, the world caught up to this film, especially in terms of the output of superhero films in order to make this even resonate more. Now you'll still find some people. Our our good friend Sammy does not like this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's going to revisit it. But if anybody came and said, I, "I really don't," the humor doesn't stick with me, or or to Josh's point, everything feels a bit neutered. Cool. But I am I am also the one that will die laughing over a good dad joke. And if that's your sensibility, then Mystery sure. Men should be right up your alley.
2: Yeah, I could. I I admittedly maybe if I watch this on a different day at a different time, the humor hits me a little bit different, and I enjoy it more. But When I watched it, I just was not feeling it and it didn't do anything extraordinary to pull me in to say, oh no, snap out of it. This is a really funny movie. It was just kind of like, I like this. I like these people, but that's about it. It's very surface level for me.
0: Well, when we first talked about doing this, I I remember telling Josh, I was worried that it was going to be one of those cases of, I can't separate the nostalgia from this, right? Like a Batman 89 scenario where I'm like, I see the cracks, but I still love everything about this and rewatching it. I was, I, I I was very pleased to discover, no, I still think this is good. Like I, I, it still plays for me. I I
3: agree. Again, like I think, again, Brad and I are more on the same page where Nathan and Troy are more on the same page. Um, like, I, I I don't think I saw this at the time it came out. It was probably much later. Uh-huh. And you know, we talked about everybody that passed the, you know, passed up on this. I mean, Danny DeVito, Ben Stiller. Like, if Ben Stiller would have directed this, it would be a different movie. It'd be different comedy. Uh, I think you've got a lot of people making power plays for their voice to be heard in this yes, like you talked about for sure and then you've got a first time director who's just kind of like well yeah you guys just do go play
0: kids just, <laughs> yeah go do
3: what you want <laughs> and and maybe that's why he's not directing anymore i don't know it's i got a lot of you know from from he, like hearing the behind the scenes aspects of movies a lot of times like i just rewatched cobra and did a whole lot of behind the scenes uh digging on that and, you know, one of my favorites cool, like, <laughs> hearing about the production of that and how uh, George P. Cosmatos would basically just step aside when Stallone was on set. Yeah. You know, I feel like with this, you probably had a director that was like, didn't know how to handle the people he had in front of the camera.
0: So therefore... It just kind of became a hodgepodge of a lot of things. I don't know I mean, that he didn't know how to handle them. It seems to me that he was he he just trusted them. He's yeah. like, You guys have been doing this a little longer than yeah. I have, and and I think you're all very funny, so why don't you go be funny? And I'll point the camera.
1: I agree. I I think this is a director who herded cats and did so successfully. <laughs> yes. I mean this, this uh-huh. to me is it they brought a guy on not for the intent of give us this visual, amazing Taco Bell Chihuahua-like mystery men film. That's not what they were going for. They hired a director. Put They put Oscar-winning people behind the camera. They put um, Oscar-nominated people and winners in front of the camera. The, the caliber of people working in front of the camera and behind the camera is fantastic. Yeah, This guy herded cats. And I would love to sit down and talk to him and be like, okay, yeah. when the shooting was finished, was it... Was it you and Conrad in the editing room along with some other people like, okay, we got a lot of stuff here. How are we going to put this together? And that really the magic, um, the magic's there, but the magic really took place in the editing room, trying to put this together. And and that the filming in and of itself was just a guy going, what do you want to do, Ben? Okay, let's Great, let's shoot that and we'll see and maybe if we can we'll use, use it. it. Yeah, what do you yeah. want to do over here? Great, let's do that. And then I'm sure you know Steven's like, well, here's how I want to shoot the film. Cool, do it. If you want to do this two or three different ways, we'll see what we can put in the editor room. But I have to imagine that Kinka and, and Conrad and maybe some studio people sat down and was like, what are we going to do with this footage? Like that's where the real magic happened to bring this together. Yeah, I, I, I can totally see that. And just, it works. You know, it works for me, 100%. And,
3: and I think at this time, too, I I wasn't so familiar with the Ben Stiller comedy as much as I was the dramas he was in at this time. Reality Bites, Permanent sure. Midnight. Like, I saw Permanent Midnight before this for sure. And, you know, seeing his performance in that, which is great and and completely different from what he's doing in this. Um, this I've got to watch that. Yeah. It, it, it's just... I don't know, like like Brad said, I, I don't dislike this movie. I don't. Yeah, you know, I will probably rewatch it, uh, especially after we've talked about it. That's the other thing too, and that's what's great about podcast is, even when I'm lukewarm on a movie, when I come on a podcast and talk about it, I walk away going, "Man, I need to rewatch that because maybe I didn't see what 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 somebody does see in this."
2: How are you warming up to that highlighter four K then? Fuck you. I thought you were
0: going to say Highlander four (laughs) in the game.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm I'm curious, Brad, like, so um, one of the films that you picked on for last year was spawn. Uh uh, When we talked about comic book. No regrets. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, how does this stack up versus your appreciation for films like that in, in in your comic book experience?
2: Well, I have much more reverence for the character. So seeing, even if it's a bad representation of spawn, I still, get that representation on screen so a little piece of me is is happy at least i got that um i think they both kind of suffer from not as mystery men is not as notoriously bad cgi wise as spawn is but they're both like still kind of early cgi that doesn't really hold up well um but they're you know spawn is super serious within your are John Leguizamo as I was about violator. To say, Mystery
3: Men doesn't have John Leguizamo. <laughs> yeah, and
2: that's another thank problem. God. So, thank God uh, it
1: doesn't. Man,
2: you know, like to me, again, Casanova, Frankenstein, <laughs> <laughs> pull my finger, Spawn. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Would I like to watch Spawn? No, probably watch. Hmm. <laughs> I like the Spawn character more, but yeah, probably Mystery Men is is a better film. Now, for me, I'm, I'm probably picking Spawn just because of my love for Mr. Simmons. But, you know, sure. uh, you know, uh, Troy, it's a hard question. Yeah, Gosh, I didn't. Wish I there didn't been
0: an HBO animated series. I know that's really down. good. Yeah. That's
2: like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't know
1: how you would take to this because I know for for you Spawn being a big character. I mean, Spawn for me is a tough watch to get through for a couple of reasons. As it should
2: be, because it's not a good movie. The, the CGI <laughs> and John Leguizamo, the, those are yeah. the
1: two things that really just get to me because it's the pest part two. Um, but I, I'm just always wondering, like with comic book films around this time period, even the Joel Schumacher stuff with Batman and Robin, like where does Mystery Men rank overall within the comic book films of the late 90s?
2: I mean, I like Batman and Robin. I mean, because then you're just turning up the camp like to 11. And well, that's honestly, me. The,
3: the beginning of this movie is basically I, uh, the Mr. Freeze breaking in at yeah. the beginning of Batman and Robin. It's, it's almost the same fucking
0: scene. That's yeah. <laughs> true. I, I'm a big defender of Batman and Robin, honestly. Like, I, I have a fun time with that movie. It's terrible. But it's also someone gave Joel Schumacher a hundred million dollars to remake Batman 66. And I kind of I kind of love
1: it for that. So Brad, would this, would this been a better view for you if it were spawn level terrible?
2: Yeah, I think it's almost too good to be like a B movie, but not bad enough to where like you can make fun of it along the way. Like it's competently made. Now Mm -hmm. I will agree. Cinematography, like as much as I love the nineties, yes. Like being up close on people is a little uncomfortable now, but I can, to be honest with you, I didn't. It didn't bother me during my viewing, but <sighs> I don't know.
3: There, there's that relation to the character too. I mean, if you yep. if you if you're a fan of Spawn, of obviously you're going to be more gravitated towards that. Me, sure. I was a giant He-Man fan when I was a kid. Masters of the Universe is a fucking awful movie, but I love it so much. Oh. So like, it's a really
0: minutes of a movie. world movie. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so um, it's just, I see the cracks in that and I don't care. I just love hmm. watching this terrible movie. So like, yeah, <laughs> like, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have any gravitation towards the characters in mystery
1: men. So therefore I don't have, that. I
2: didn't know there were characters until like, <laughs> right. So, <laughs>
1: well, uh, I, I only think a couple actually come from the comics, like the um, shoveler yeah. and um Mr. Furious. Yeah. Uh Some, uh, you know, this is, this team is composed of new stuff. As well as some characters that come from the original lineup. And
3: and it's also how much you're subjected to things, too. Because honestly, again, Nathan, I love you. I know you love the Superman movies, but like Superman 4 is the one I watched the most as a kid, and it's the worst one. Like, sure. But that's the one that I have
0: fond memories of, you know, Dustin and I just had this conversation about Ninja Turtles on VH or on uh, Silver Linings. I do too many podcasts (laughs) 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 on Silver Linings playlist, but it is like if it's the one you watched a lot as a kid, you're going to have a love for that. Like, I don't think that ever goes away for sure.
2: No. Uh, I
0: so, well dude,
3: that first tmt movie fuck team T movie holds up like a motherfucker. It's real good. It's it does
1: really good. <laughs> I, I, I can again, I don't think this is a bad film. I, I I like Brad's commentary. like it, yeah, maybe if it maybe if it just really went into the hen and Lauder um Frankenhooker stage or something of that nature, total <laughs> camp, this would just be an all time classic and everybody would be talking right. about it. I think it, this flies under the radar of a lot of Bonkers films. Um, but I think because it does everything so well, especially the comedy, the production design, things blow up pretty well in here too. Um, and I, I like I the third act. I think it's fun where they're using all these nonviolent weapons and everybody gets to use their superpower. Uh, it, it kind of all comes together. I, I don't know. It just, it, it feels like comfort food, but it's really good comfort food. It, yeah. It's not going to, it's, you t- want that.
0: Yeah, like you want that from from a movie about wannabes too, right? Like yeah. you want that underdog story to end with everybody getting their hero moment, and they all do.
1: Yeah, it's it's not trying to just make a huge statement or, or really point out all of the flaws with the superhero genre and drag it through the mud. It's really just trying to have fun with it and like poke it here and there. Um and just have have some fun characters that you want to follow.
3: Well, maybe an under an undertone of this that's also like playing into that comedy too is, you know, this is a group of people who seemingly have no leader, and I feel right. like the the cast is a lot like that too. Like you see Ben Stiller on that cast list, you think Ben Stiller's your main character. I feel like every character is given something in this movie, at least the main three or four. Like yeah, Stiller, Azaria. Uh Macy. Um Macy. Yeah, Macy. It like those oh, guys man. are given a lot to do. And then you, you get kind of the back seat with the Invisible Boy and sure. um and Paul Rubens and whatnot. So that's another thing too. Like I'm expecting Ben Stiller to be quote unquote the star of this movie, and I don't really think he is. Like I think it's an ensemble
0: cast. It fully is. Yeah. But then everybody gets those like big hero moments. I mean no one but William H. Macy could deliver that egg salad sandwich monologue and <laughs> yes. it like feel like a genuinely like heroic, you know, hurrah ho- moment.
1: Yeah, I yeah? Agree. Uh, th- th- Everybody gets a chance to shine and I think they're really good. Yeah. I, I, I really hope more people. Um, I, well, Brad, are you, are you ever going to watch this again or is this
2: just, yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, it won't be for a long time, but. I bought that Kino for a reason, so yeah, I'll I mean, watch it again.
3: I, I paid money for that 4K, baby. I'm going to watch it at <laughs> least one more up. time. <laughs> uh, I,
1: it's it's crazy. This is one of the movies that my son and I will watch together on a pretty regular basis because it's just – for us, it's fun. And then we'll spend yeah. days just quoting it to each other. Um, and I don't know if it's because we really want to an, annoy uh, the rest of the family with our <laughs> sense of humor, but um, it, it really has, uh, for me, become one of those films that it's just like this bonding moment with my son, and, and maybe Brad, that'll happen with you at some point with Max, <laughs> like if he finds any kind of humor into this, and um, I I don't I don't know if you have that movie with him already, but Cameron and I have just like this slate of films that we're like, okay, let's put this in because that's sort of our movie, and we're either gonna laugh to it or we're gonna high five because we think you know that action was just sick or something of that nature. But those are the best. Yeah, like Mystery the, Men for me is in a pantheon outside of even how much I love the film, it, it just took on this other thing over the years between Cameron and I. And, um, we, we were talking the other day cause I, I brought the action figures out. Cause I'm going to be posting them on our socials. <laughs> My wife is like, why do you have these things? And I'm like, <laughs> dude, there worth some money. She's like, sell them mm-hmm. then sell them right now. <laughs> I'm like, no, C- Cameron gets them. Cause he, he loves this film so much. But, um, yeah, I, I hope you, I hope you give it another chance, Brad soon. And, in-
2: it won't be soon. I can promise you that.
1: Oh man.
3: Well, I mean a, a, another case as well is like you know Watchmen. I, when the Watchmen first came out, I didn't know much about the comics. I know that movie has its fair share of controversy with the way they changed the ending and everything. Um but I wasn't as into Watchmen as I am now back when it uh-huh. came out. Um and I think I'm part and partial the reason I'm so into Watchmen now is the TV show. Like that HBO series mm-hmm. was fucking amazing. <laughs> And so, like, and I'm not saying, like, Mystery Men's going to get a revival in a
0: TV show on HBO or anything like that.
3: But it needs a
1: sequel, in my Let's opinion. Let's get
0: Damon Lindelof on this. <laughs> yeah, right.
3: <laughs> Damon Lindelof on the script, Ben Stiller behind the camera. Let's see what happens. If
1: they did a sequel, do you think it would do well in today's age?
3: I, I don't know. I think at this point it might be a little too far out of the conversation.
0: Ben Stiller said he'd be down to do it too, which is so yeah. interesting. Like I, I but I can't imagine would that be a wide release? Would that be like a straight to Netflix deal?
1: Would you right. watch a sequel, Brad?
2: Yeah, for sure. Okay. I'm down for superhero stuff. That's like not your typical superhero mold. Like anything outside yeah. of a regular, like we've talked about this, like the, why the winter soldier is my favorite superhero film of the last few years is because it's, different like it's a political espionage thriller wrapped up in a superhero film like that's sure. why i like it um so yeah this would be a different thing okay uh
1: yeah when i heard ben stiller was up for it i'm like somebody give this guy like 70 million dollars
2: just sell those figures and maybe you can pay a salary <laughs> i'm not selling <laughs> think- my mystery men figures it's and what's
3: happening. funny is like I, I, I would say i would watch a sequel to this as well but as big of a fan of zoolander as i am I can't bring myself to watch the sequel. And it's probably because I like I don't, don't want to taint my original feeling of the first movie.
0: And I feel like if I watch this new one, it's going to do that. See, to me, you know? I, I, I I typically refute that unless it like brings to light things that are le- weak about the original. For me, a bad remake or a bad sequel has never harmed the original product to
2: me they're not going to come and take your DVD from your house or anything either. No, that would be something. Yeah. That'd be, (laughs) if you watch this, we're coming for your collection. Pilfering your (laughs)
1: DVD collection. (laughs) That's a spot on blue Raja. (laughs) Uh, So Brad, any, any final words on your mystery, man? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, nothing.
2: No, no. I think they should have played into the Paul Rubens thing. And like, he was like the Jacker or something like that. Like (laughs) the what? (laughs) Jacker.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, wow. No, no, that's a wrong movie, Brad. That is no, absolutely (laughs) not.
0: That's Free Willy starring Paul Rubin. (laughs) Yeah,
1: wrong, wrong one. Uh, (laughs) Nate, uh, Josh, any other thoughts?
0: I I just I adore this movie. I totally get why it wouldn't play for everybody, especially if you're coming to it for the first time. But uh, it's one that it it puts me in a good mood every single time I watch it. I was watching it uh, the other night. Big, stupid grin on my face, literally sending my girlfriend like clips of the movie. <laughs> just like, see, uh, this is so good. Look at this cast. This is ridiculous. Um, I think if you if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's truly like one of the best ensemble casts for any comic book film. Uh, and I, I think for that alone, it's worth checking out.
1: I agree 100 percent. Well, I'm going to ask the question I'm to start with uh, you, Josh. We just got done talking about 1999's Mystery Men. Is it a bomb?
3: I wouldn't go to as far as to say it's a bomb. I mean, while I am kind of lukewarm on it at this moment, I mean, I think there's plenty of entertainment to be had watching this. It's just it doesn't hit as well as some of the other Ben Stiller, William H. Macy stuff I've seen. It's not a nostalgia trip for me either. So, therefore, I don't have that to connect to it. But, sure. you know... I had fun watching it. I didn't turn it off. So that's a good sign. That's a great sign. You know? But, yeah. but I, I, I don't think it's a bomb. I just, again, like we've, we've touched on this on episodes I've been on before. I think this is another movie that might be suffering from being ahead of its time a little bit. Okay.
1: Well, Brad, uh, I, I really don't know where you're going to land on this one. Cause I, I'm getting some eh vibes and like, you might be coming around a little bit, but I, I I'm, I'm going to ask him to hold my breath. Well, is, I will
3: say I'm definitely going to watch Frankenhooker now and see what these connections are. Son, <laughs> it's on
0: Shutter. Go check it out. Oh man.
1: yeah, so I, there you go. I, I have
2: the I have the Blu-ray. I'll go. Oh, go of course
4: that. you do. <laughs> there
1: you go. All right, Brad is uh, is Mystery Man a bomb?
2: Yeah, I mean I would say it's not a bomb. I didn't hate this by any means, and I love the cast. And I think just watching them play these characters is pretty much worth the price of admission. So I will say it's not a bomb.
1: OK, cool. All right, Nate, I, I think we know where you're going to land formally. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's it, a bomb.
0: <laughs> it's not a bomb. I, I This is up there with Big Trouble in Little China is one of the movies I've watched the most. I wouldn't say it's one of my fi- I mean, well, if I was to do a top 20, probably in there. I, I really love this movie and it's always just such a blast to come back to. When I first heard about the premise of Not a Bomb, it was literally the movie that popped into my head. Like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta weasel my way in there to talk about <laughs> no, this I, I, and... I, I,
3: That's actually a fun story. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I had been on the show. I had talked to you guys a, a couple. Yeah. Th- I think I had been on the show once or twice at this mm-hmm. point. And Nate sends me a text and he goes, "Dude, you need to tell the Not a Bomb guys." Mystery Men, <laughs> it's like, and I and I want to be on. And I I sent you guys a text when Nate sent me that. That's I was right. Like, hey, Nate wants to come on and talk about Mystery Men with you guys. So this has been probably a, a year in the making, and we're finally doing it. I'm
1: so happy. You can stop it. asking now. Yeah,
0: yeah. uh actually, All I had to do was watch Solomon Kane to earn the right. Yes, dollar. exactly.
1: You paid your dues, Nate. You that's paid right, your dues. That's right. No, su- surprisingly, this is one that comes up in a lot of conversations when I we ask for yeah. suggestions. A lot of people are like, hey, what about Mystery Men? We're like, hey, look, it's on the list. Um, I think, Brad, we we were going to do it earlier until we found out about that 4K. Yeah, Kino
2: was doing the 4K, so we waited. Yeah, Dash and so it. we're
1: like, hey, push it off because I want to watch it again when the 4K comes out. Because I, I own, my goodness, I know I own two different Blu-ray copies on top of the 4K. So yeah. uh, I bought this thing so many times. Um, it's got to be in the black at this point. <laughs> Uh, it is definitely not a bomb. This is, this is one of my favorites. I love this film. Yeah. Um, just unabashedly. And, uh, you know, as I, I, I think you described it perfectly. Nate, every time I watch it, it puts me in an amazing mood. Yeah. This is one of those. It does not matter what the day did to me. Um, I can easily stick this in. It's also people talk about that group of films that when you're, you're passing through the living room and something's on TV, no matter, you know, you have this select group of films that doesn't matter where it is in the film. You're going to stop, sit down and just finish it. Right. doesn't matter if it's the beginning. If it's got 30 minutes left, an hour left. For me, this is one of those. Cause I, I can quote the stupid thing over and over again. And I do constantly just <laughs> to bug my wife. So, um, I'm hoping one day Tabitha comes around on this one. I don't <laughs> well, think it's going to happen.
3: <laughs> that's something I, I, I kind of wanted to bring up too, is like, I, I knew coming into this and doing this episode with Nate, like this is a very special movie for Nate. And even though like, and, and, and I didn't want to come on and be like, it just wasn't for me or whatever. Like, uh, and I and that's not to say I'm like putting off a false pretense of what I've sure. think of
0: this movie. No, you're think, a good friend. <laughs> I, think, I think it's fine. <laughs> but like, it do, it does
3: suck when like, again, like this isn't a movie I watched a lot and, and and don't have the nostalgia for. So when you show or watch a movie that you know a friend of yours loves or like or like in case in point like i showed big trouble in little china to a friend of mine who had never seen it before yeah. and it's like that meme that's like when you're showing somebody a movie and they're not responding to the parts that are funny and all like <laughs> he 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 was not responding to big trouble in little china the way he's uh. supposed to respond to big trouble in little... so it's it's hard when you know I've you had, had a... that so
0: many times <laughs> right like, <laughs> so like
3: it's hard to come on and talk about a movie that you know somebody loves where you're you're kind of lukewarm on it Sure, but, but again like that's why i love doing this because now, I, next time I watch it, I'll be looking for the things that Nate and Troy Aww. really love about this. I'm going to watch Frank and Hooker and compare it to the shots in this movie, you know? So that's where I think there's a, a big plus here. Even though I wasn't, you know, I, I'm lukewarm on the movie – I will definitely watch it again and, and take what you guys love to heart and, and see, if, see if my opinion changes. I,
1: I, I love that.
4: Yeah. Thanks,
1: I, man. I, that's, that's awesome. I, and I, I will say this, I, I can't vouch for this aspect of it for anybody. I know it's true for me. Every time I watch it, I like it more. Meaning uh, yeah. I get excited about when, when we watched the 4k, I kind of got excited about when am I going to watch this again? So um, I, I truly, truly just enjoy putting this on repeat. Now is it in the top twenty movies of all time for me. I don't know. I find that to that list to be hard. Sure. Um, how many
3: how many Jackie Chan movies are there?
1: There's more than twenty. Okay, so then then no, there's no, it's not going to be in your top twenty. Charlie. Probably not. I, I like it more than the Medallion. Claire's in that one too. <laughs> okay, but well, how about the tuxedo? Uh, yeah. We we got to talk about the tuxedo someday. <laughs> hey, oh, we right have to, hey, well,
3: real quick? T- is the Foreigner good? Foreigner is amazing. Already. Foreigner's
1: great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Martin Campbell. Jump on that big time. That's, that's a surprising, that's the type of film, you know, there, there's a handful of, since we'll digress here for a second, there are a handful of Jackie Chan films that I think you need to watch, like The Foreigner, or Crime yeah. Story, that will show you that he is more than just sort of the clown prince of Kung Fu, because he gets that label quite a bit. Right. But you check out The Foreigner and you check out Crime Story, um, yes. which he got a, a ton of awards for in you know his home country for the guy can act if given the right stuff. Right. So
0: I, I saw the, when I saw the foreigner, I remember thinking this is what the, the last, the, the next part of his career needs to be right. Like the, it's, yep. it's, he's so good in it. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd be
3: proud of me, Troy. I actually watched, uh, the street fighter, Sonny Chiba. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that's, that's my shit right there, man. I like yeah. that
0: stuff. killer
1: movie. And, that and is fa- fun. I
3: mean, spoiler alert, the fact that it kind of ends on a cliffhanger too. I was like, Whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> Sonny,
1: Sonny Chiba. He's man. Talk about a guy who puts out some highs and lows, but <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah, even the lows. I, I really do love, um, I, I put it this way Sunny Chiba, like Street Fighter, I can watch all day by myself like crazy. Mm-hmm. The other Sunny Chibas, when he hits the low, I love watching them with like a Brad or you guys or just in a group setting. Um, but yeah. watching those by yourself are very tough. You'll you'll know it when you see it. Um, that Sunny Chiba collection, Shout Factory put out, it's a great collection. Yeah. But I will be the first to say there's a couple in there. It's like, whoo, I'm going to wait till I can get a couple of beers and some people together. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh guys i mean i'll start with you nate you have like a gazillion and a half podcasts. you wanna <laughs> uh, what what do what you what are you working on right now and and what are the what's what's like some of the upcoming stuff or what's out yeah. in circulation right now on the on the shows
0: um so uh when this comes out uh silver linings playlist we we cover movies with downer bleak weird endings uh we recently had josh on an episode discussing a history of violence Ooh. uh we're gonna have him on again very shortly to discuss another one of my top movies of all time now this is this movie is one that i could uh get in a circle jerk about i'll just leave it at that <laughs> oh boy <laughs> um and uh this week we're dropping an episode on uh neil of Bute's the shape of things which is a, a very odd little flick uh and uh, my my girlfriend is the guest because we did the show together in college, so there's a lot of like theater nerd oh, stuff uh, discussion in on that one. Um, AIPT Comics Podcast. We've got the Rom V interview coming up. We we're also uh, we just booked an interview with uh, Ryan North, who's currently writing Fantastic Four. A really love ex- Fantastic. It, I, my God, it's I'm, so
1: good right now. Yes, yeah, I uh, I'm loving. That's probably my current favorite Marvel comic right now is Fantastic yeah. Four it's so wholesome
0: and it's so like well done great action and great emotional character beats and like very sort of almost outer limits esque storytelling i i love it so much um and then i've got oh that's a scary movie which i i host with uh co-host with my girlfriend uh we go through movies that spook us or you know bad horror movies that make us laugh sometimes we t- cover Uh, scary television episodes. Uh, We just put out an episode on Jason X (laughs) to kick off the new year with uh, style. uh, Talk about bad 2000 cinematography. Um, And then, we have an episode coming up uh, on the remake of The Wicker Man to just keep that uh, Neil of train going.
1: Holy cow. <laughs> when do you sleep exactly, or do you not sleep? Never.
0: Uh, no, it's Silver Lightnings playlist. We're going to be w- winding down the season in a handful of episodes. So I get to take a little bit of a break.
1: <laughs> oh, man. It's good content, man. I, I encourage oh, everybody. So if they want to just follow, cause that's a lot of stuff to follow. What's sure. Where's your social media handles? Um, uh, where's the you best can to find
0: me on Twitter at what a story, Nate. Uh, you can also find, Oh, that's a scary movie at Otasm podcast. O T A S M podcast. I share all the stuff from AIPT and silver linings on there as well. Uh, cause there's, we typically talk a lot of
1: horror on both shows. Cool. Josh, you're back from a cruise. So <laughs> VHS Files is is uh, obviously in full gear. What what's coming around the corner well, for you guys? Well,
3: curr- currently um we're re- re-releasing all of our past episodes on YouTube, yeah. uh audio versions only. So if you have been interested in listening to any of our past stuff, it is coming out uh, an episode a day on YouTube right now. Um we will be dropping our top 4 gifts given in movies. Um This coming monday i believe so it'll probably be this yeah it'll be monday so it'll probably come out the same day as this um and we've got a whole slew of episodes planned for the rest of the year Uh, nathan will be joining us for some of those and if you want to hear nathan and i talk about james bond
4: yeah
3: uh, for new eyes only and we're getting into the roger moore era as we discussed earlier in the episode so uh if you like to hear Talk about Bond movies. We're talking Bond movies over there. So come check us out. Uh, Find us at VHS Files Podcast on any of
1: the socials and VHS Files Podcast on YouTube. Nice. I can't wait to hear you guys talk about For Your Eyes Only. That's probably my favorite Roger Moore.
0: I am. I, yeah, I can't wait for that one. Josh is really looking forward to Octopussy just so he can finally <laughs> figure out what the hell the title is.
3: <laughs> that was uh, that's, that's been my, my goal so far is like, I got to get the Octopussy and find out what's up with this one. So.
1: Nice. <laughs> so Brad, let's talk about, um, yes, we got a couple of things coming. Uh, what's next week's show. What, what should people start looking, um, to either stream or purchase? What movie are you talking about next week?
2: Well, we had such a good time talking about Craig R. Baxley um, a week ago that we decided to do another one of his films. We were doing I Come in Peace, a.k.a. Dark Angel, which just we already talked about it during Stone Cold is a banger. Go ahead. Try to find it somewhere. I just saw it
0: for the first time this year or last year. Really? I loved it. Absolutely. (laughs) it's
2: going to be an interesting
0: conversation.
1: Yeah. We, 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 if go back and listen to stone cold, because we talk about those three films um, that Craig put out, uh, we could not sit on the, I I don't know. We've just sort of been in an action phase. Um, Brad wanted to do that one. Um, Even though it's close to stone cold, it's like, yeah, I'm I'm ready to talk about that. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And yeah. So, so I think the blu-ray is pretty accessible. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but you know, try to find it it somewhere.
0: It was on Shutter. It might still be.
2: Ooh, okay. There you go.
1: So there's another little special project um, <laughs> that we're going to actually record tomorrow. I think everybody has seen it, but um, so the and we'll tell this story when we talk about it. Brad has a tendency to have zero patience during bad. <laughs> I films. have zero
2: patience for bullshit. Yes, he uh-huh. does.
1: Um, so uh, Sammy, Jose, and I have kind of been working behind the scenes to kind of test this. In, in detail. And so we have 12 movies lined out over the next year, starting in January. And believe me, we've already got December picked out. Not not every month's picked out, but there were some key months. We're like, what holiday is that? Oh, yeah, we're talking that film. Oh, man. But we're kicking off uh, this little experiment with a doozy. Brad, you want to you wanna talk about what you were exposed to?
2: Yeah. So we are doing Not a Bomb Presents Breaking Brad, which is our search for the worst films of all time, <laughs> and January we are doing the Ginger Dead Man, starring the one, the only Gary Busey. Yeah, seventy minute runtime. Troy, yep.
1: Boy, it felt more like <laughs> we'll 10, get ten minute <laughs> credit sequence, <laughs> and it
2: was still too goddamn long.
0: And and the sequels open with recaps of the previous Ooh. movie, and still feel too long. It's truly wild. Very Friday
1: the Thirteenth. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. I don't know if I mean I own. The sequel. I don't think I owned the uh uh Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong, but interesting I-
2: fact about Ginger Dead Man, it was shot on a razor phone apparently, because it looks like <laughs> uh it said two thousand five. I was like, there's no way this was made two thousand five. Absolutely
1: 2005. not. So we put the call out there um to send us recommendations for the worst films. We I did want to share a little bit of feedback. Ben wrote in oh, and God. said, I want to make a suggestion for the worst film I've ever seen. Okay. Backstory time. My father is a huge Trump supporter mm. and right wing nut job. So that sends alone
4: <laughs> is like, huh? what do you
1: got for us? Cause Brad will lose his shit. Home Alone um, 2. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's the greatest movie of all time. Go so <laughs> uh,
1: Ben continues. When Dahmer Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills collapsed on the field, my father shared I think with it's the st- family. St- Mar. Demar, Demar, okay, uh, with the family. A documentary called Died Suddenly. I wish I was making all of this up, but sadly, I am not. Anyway, if you really want to sit through the worst film you have ever seen, then look no further. You guys ask, but be warned. It's a dangerous movie and filled with lies. Keep up the good work on the pod, and good luck, Ben. Whoa. Um, I know of this film. Oh, this is oh, – go ahead. Yeah. yeah the, the, so, Ben – I would love to subject Brad to this. The The problem with this one is it's not fun it, because ba- it's a documentary where they interview a bunch of morticians about blood clots to try and link a conspiracy to COVID vaccinations. Yep. Um, unfortunately, as much traffic as this documentary has gotten on to, to um, all of the social media sites, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, uh, Brad and I have talked about this. We really don't want to contribute or, or no. give this thing any kind of attention whatsoever. Yeah. Is it the worst movie out there? Yes. I, we will agree <laughs> with you 100%. It is absolutely <laughs> terrible. But, um, I, I and Brad are, are, both of the inkling that there is no way we want to, I, I spent a little bit of time with it and did a little research and it only took <laughs> about 30 minutes and you're just like, this is total bullshit. Um, yeah. what we did talk about is, uh, I am, uh, friends with somebody who did work at the CDC, if we can find a very, so, Char-
2: so Troy is a part of the Illuminati, just for I, anyone who wasn't know, not he's- part of the
1: Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can find a good movie bomb that has to do with, uh, viruses or, or something of that nature, we might bring a special guest on because I, I talk with this gentleman quite a bit He's super fascinating. Um, I I don't want to name drop or anything, but we might have a chance to go down this path in a more, uh, I don't know, sane, ethical, interesting conversation versus um, subjecting Brad to a right-wing nut, uh, died suddenly documentary.
3: Well, I'm honestly just kind of curious as to what the rest of these awful movies that you're going to be
1: subjecting, Brad.
2: Well, I don't for. know any of them. He doesn't know any of them. <laughs>
1: um, I'm going to so. se- where do I send the list to? Send them- <laughs> Oh, that is a
2: good question. Yeah, that is not bomb pod at gmail.com.
0: Fantastic because I, I got you boys. <laughs> well, well, I mean, Nathan,
2: you go to our website, not a bombpodcast.com and hit the contact us button. So yes, I will,
3: I will say Nathan is one of my friends that I always am like that seems like a bad movie. I wonder if Nathan's seen it. <laughs>
1: Give us the list. I I can tell you this. Brad's Uh, patience level. um, It's so much fun to see it in action when you go to a movie together. Sure. Or a film festival. And uh, you you can just tell first 10 minutes. I've I've been in the room where the director is staring at us and Brad's like, fuck this. I'm out and just walks out.
0: I was so curious about what movie that was. Can you can you tell what us off movie?
2: air or yeah, what movie was that? Charlie? I heard you guys
1: talking about that. I don't, I, I uh, we might, I'll have to look it up. We can share okay. it on the next episode. Cause I, the next day I spent 30 or 45 minutes with that director talking about his <laughs> film.
4: Wow. And here comes okay. Brad
1: around the corner. And I'm sure that guy was like, is that the dude that just walked out in front of me? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's very entertaining. Brad hates musicals. He, uh, what what other things do you not like, Brad? If like if somebody were trying to look for that perfect bad movie, what are, what are the things that you don't like?
2: I mean, like your really bad romantic comedy, like oh your, yeah, those are terrible. Like your Hallmark level romantic comedy is gonna just really grind my gears, as they say. Yeah, musicals. <laughs> it also like. Italian films.
3: (laughs) He hates Argento. He hates Argento. I am so fascinated by, like, so many people hate musicals. And, like, I I wouldn't say I've seen, like, all the musicals there are, Uh but I just... I
2: don't know. Like, I don't understand the mindset. Like you just won't watch any well, musical at all. Like it just breaks. So like we're walking down the street, Josh, and then all of a sudden I'm singing. And it's like, this is not how the real world works. Like, but he
1: loves look. people walking down the street and they're breaking out into Kung Fu fighting, which we've yeah, had uh-huh. this conversation. Well,
2: yeah. Yes, exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I'm more susceptible. One of
2: those too. is cool. And the other is not. for sure. <laughs> One of
1: them is cool. Uh we've got a few musicals lined up for him, so don't oh, worry about that. Oh, yeah. Damn it, it. They they are they are atrocious. <laughs> I, I was honest.
0: telling Josh uh the other day that like the next time we come back, I want to do I'd love to I'd love to make you guys sit down and watch Graffiti Bridge. Ooh. <laughs> oh if you want to talk about a bad musical. Well,
2: Brad, well, Brad have have you seen RRR? Yeah, I love ours. That's okay, different. So like, that's, that's different. That's way
3: different. Nah, I don't know. It's it's not so different, honestly. Look, we're going to dis- like
1: we've got 12 months to dissect okay. the list lunacy because Brad will say he doesn't like something and then I'll give him a list of 10 things he likes. He's like, "Oh yeah, I do like that." Well,
3: Tro- <laughs> where, where, where where do you sit on
1: musicals, Trevor? Tro- love- my two favorite movies of all time are Drunken, Drunken Master, Master 2, 2 and Singing in the Rain.
2: In the rain. I will Singing? watch those wow. over and over yeah.
1: because to me, they're very close to being the same film in terms of pacing and, uh, just a visualization of like the bodies in motion. It's fantastic. If you okay. watch those two movies back to back, you'll see more similarities and differences. Singing in the rain
3: was one of those. I got too late in life and, uh, I, I don't know what all we were watching. We were watching a bunch of musicals at the time, but so, dude, singing in the rain is just it's the dancing. The singing, like all of it, is just amazing.
1: Dude. It is. It's a beautiful film. Uh, okay, so I don't know if you're listening in the morning, afternoon, or evening. Go and try and find a copy of "I Come in Peace," or it's also known as "Dark Angel." Come back here next week. Next week and uh, listen to our thoughts about it. Go buy Kino's 4K version of "Mystery Men." Um, we are all four of us are in agreement. It's not a bomb. Nate and I rep for it as being one of the best comic book films out there. Right, Nate? Mm -hmm.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you can't go wrong. So go by that and uh, check out all of these guys. Amazing podcast. And we'll see you soon. Don't
2: lose your head.